Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Should the Senate consider new evidence as part of the impeachment trial? Man, you're a liberal hack. I'm not talking to you. You're not going to comment? Tonight, fighting back, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar under attack for anti-Semitic tweets not staying quiet. Omar, who accuses Trump of trafficking in hate, her words, his entire life, is now publicly clashing with the president's new envoy to Venezuela. Manu Raju is out front. President Donald Trump has called on her to resign after remarks many viewed as anti-Semitic. And on Twitter, she's accused the president of racism. But on Capitol Hill, freshman Congresswoman Ilhan Omar is in no mood to talk about any of it. The president said that you should be, you should resign for, and the vice president said you should be held accountable for your views. Can you respond to that? No, thank you. Then asked about this Wednesday tweet where she said to Trump, you have trafficked in hate your whole life against Jews, Muslims, indigenous, immigrants, black people, and more. I learned from people impacted by my words. When will you? Omar took strong exception. This morning you said the president trafficked. What is wrong with you? Question about your tweet. You had a tweet saying the president trafficked in hate. I Yes, I tweeted. There's a response. You can run that and have a nice day. Why can't you explain more what you meant to say? A Somali refugee who joined Michigan's Rashida Tlaib as the first Muslim women to ever serve in the House, Omar has long criticized the Israeli government, but has said she respects the Jewish people. And her allies argue she's been unfairly singled out. Yet after tweeting Sunday that GOP criticism over Israel views are, quote, all about the Benjamins, she was roundly condemned, even by her own leadership and later apologized, saying she understands the painful history of anti-Semitic tropes. Can you regret your comments, Congresswoman? I'm pretty sure that was stated in my statement. GOP leaders were not satisfied, demanding she lose committee spots, even though they have been mostly silent about Trump's inflammatory racial rhetoric. Still, Trump went even further. I think she should resign from Congress. The chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, who has been critical of Omar's words, would not say whether she should be removed from his panel. I'm not uh, commenting on, on anything. At a hearing today on Venezuela, Omar engaged in a contentious exchange with Trump's special envoy, Elliot Abrams, who wanted a chance to respond to her criticism. I fail to understand uh, why members of this committee or the American people should find any testimony that you give uh, today to be truthful. If I can respond to that. Uh, um, it wasn't a question. I, I, On February, that was it not, was that was attack, not a question. I that was, the, I, I reserve the right I'm, to my time. It is not, it is not right. That was Remember not a question. Committee. Aaron, I had a chance to ask the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi if she agrees with the Republicans and that Omar should be removed from committee assignments. She said no, and she said the Republicans do not have clean hands on any of this. She cited 
chance at President Trump's rallies where they said USA in front of the president's face, as she said, and they didn't apologize for the remarks. And she also said, where were they over 13 years when Steve King, the Iowa Republican congressman, had made a series of racist comments until last year. They decided to pull him from his committee assignments. They said, why, isn't, why didn't they do that sooner? Aaron. Thank you, Manu. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 20th of January, year of our Lord, 2020. Yeah, I went early again. There's so much stuff. I mean, there's just, there's like a whole, we're probably going to double podcast. In fact, we will regardless. We'll just do our politics up front, and then we'll do a new social media nugget. So it'll break the file in half, so you'll have an A and B again. Because as our intro plays, man, the fucking hypocrisy just, it's going to make me go long, man. I can't help it. It's going to make me talk long. (sighs) Fucking people are terrible. Plus, the weather is going to be better tomorrow to fish than it would be Wednesday, so I had to swap up days. Anyway, I'm going to get back on the lake. I've hit the river. I've hit my usual where I'm going to be buried back in that only, uh, well, one of my listeners, Matt in Oregon, knows where that's at, but going to hit a different area and get out on the boat and enjoy the scenic beauty. Because I'm not even going to cover that game last night. That was what I expected. Um, You know, the Packers weren't a good team. Um, They were good, but they weren't championship team. I knew that. I'm not stupid. Uh, We had an easy record because, you know, we sucked last year. We only had four wins. That's not good. Um, Or six, or I don't know. We were, what the fuck were we last year? Packer, it doesn't matter. We were horrible. We were just horrible. So we had an easy record, and we played above our, our skill set. It was a good team. Um, probably one of the better teams we've had, as in teammates and working together and camaraderie and fucking complimentary football, but we're clearly lacking. Um, I wanted to do this at the end, but I'll just do it right now. It's, it's time for the Packers to look for a quarterback. Aaron Rodgers is a legend. He'll be in the he'll be in the fucking Hall of Fame, but his time has passed. He the only thing he's good at is not throwing interceptions. Oh, by the way, he threw last, two last night. One of them was a terrible shot behind the person. One was a shot downfield, and you know those happen. Um, but he's just not there anymore. He doesn't have the skill sets. Holds on to the ball too long because last year his stat was he threw it away too much. So this year he doesn't want to throw throw it away, so he holds on to it and he got strip sacked and he just you know fumbled a snap. He, he just isn't a great football player. He's a good football player, and he doesn't have the skill sets around him. I mean, you don't. You have a number one wide receiver, a number one running back, and that's it. Tight ends average. He's never been good. He's been average. They didn't hit the draft and get good targets, and this is what you get. Once they shut down or or contain Adams, you're done. And then the defense, the defense was good. We thought it was great because compared to last year, Jesus, anything's great. But they got run on all year. I mean, let's be honest. People ran on the Packers. The only thing that saved us is that we could get some heroics and we'd pull it out and we were in close games. But you look at the two games with the 49ers and 
During the season, twenty-three to nothing at halftime. During the postseason championship game, twenty-seven to nothing. And then we score in junk time. So we're just not there. And I think if they hit the free agent market, work on picking up those targets, some more, you know, another running back, get a young quarterback and start grooming them. And I'll talk about that in a second. And get some wide receivers. This could be a great team. It really could. And Aaron could get another ring. But they're going to end up like the Oregon Ducks did with Marcus Mariota. You have a legend. You ride that legend to the end. And then the cupboard is empty. And that's where we're at. We have nobody on the bench that could come in and win a football game. We don't have any talent. We haven't drafted anybody forever. And it's time. It's time to draft a quarterback and get ready. He's only got a couple more years. His skill set isn't there anymore. His accuracy is way off. I mean, you really look at... He has good stats because Adams is a phenomenal athlete that can catch passes behind him, above him, low to the ground. I mean, there are so many plays that if the ball was placed right, it'd be a touchdown, but it's never placed right anymore. I don't know if he doesn't practice because he thinks he's all that. I mean, he's an arrogant prick. I never liked Aaron Rodgers. Um, He's just an arrogant prick. He's not a Brett Favre, you know, a humble man. He's just a prick. I, I don't know. So the Packers, yeah, that was, I didn't watch. I didn't wear my outfit. Went to bed. I didn't even wake up to check the store because I knew what it was going to be. San Francisco has a well-rounded team. They're more physical. They have more targets. They have, they just have a more balanced team. And they can run the football, and the Packers couldn't stop the run all fucking year. So, we heard the intro. One is a Republican congresswoman saying the truth. You're a liberal hack. The amount of angst that came off this and the comments are making me make it a violent left statement. We're going to hear the bumper for violent left, and you're going to hear a super cut, and then we're going to break some more down of these comments from CNN. But it was the entire media. And this is another one of those examples I want you to mark on your little calendar. Keep it in your little book to argue with your liberal friends. Sweet, sassy Mofrassi. If she was a Democrat, this would be unacceptable sexism. But we have the arbiters of everything that is right in America, the people that tell us how to live, going so as far as calling a combat vet a punk. <laughs> Most of them radicalized to the right. 
all punches are not equal morally. Wow. If you can't answer that question, maybe you shouldn't have been elected to the Senate. What? Oh, sorry. Martha McSally actually wasn't elected to the Senate. She actually tried to get elected, but she lost. I forgot that. She lost actually to a Democrat. It turns out McSally is a veteran of the Air Force and has a really honorable and impressive record of service. And she was a trailblazer in the military. She may be, you know, pretending to be tough on the media now or hate the media now, but when she wanted attention for her lawsuit, she seemed to have no problem popping up in CBS's 60 Minutes. But look, that was 18 years ago for, you know, person who's become a desperate politician, that's a lifetime. She also didn't seem to dislike the media when Elle magazine, which is not exactly the Daily Caller, profiled her back in 2016. She's desperate to say or do anything to stay in power. That's what this is about. Back in 2016, she was running for Congress. She didn't endorse Trump. She probably doesn't want to talk about that now, but she didn't endorse Trump. Sally is brave. She's been in combat. She was a trailblazer in the military. But now she wants to stay in power. So she picks on a good and decent reporter just asking a fair and simple question. And you know how you know that this is all just a political act? Because she herself tweeted out a video of the exchange, and she herself is now fundraising on that exchange. She's trying to make money off the fact that she called Manarajo a liberal hack. And you know what? The president is now asking people to donate to her because she was rude and unprofessional to a reporter. So big, long, slow clap for you. A reporter was just doing his constitutionally backed job. Based on the mutually agreed fact of her slur against Manu Raju today, I think it's fair to say that McSally's days of engaging in rational discussion are over. There was this incredible and frankly shocking moment that was beneath the dignity, d- dignity of how a senator should behave. And it is a very incredibly telling moment. I mean, it's obviously indecent and based on yeah. a desire to not have accountability. My reaction was that her behavior was disgraceful. <laughs> Behaving disgracefully. It was disgusting. It was awful. It was an awful, awful thing that she did. It's awful. Oh my God. Called him names. She thinks that that's going to score political points for her. People in Arizona are smarter than that. It's harmful to democracy. Calls him a, a nasty name. Just, it just demeaned the office. It wasn't exactly what Sarah Palin used to like to call a gotcha question. And, and we're not, I'm not being defensive of him because he's my colleague. When they tell the news media go away, they're telling you at home to go away. That's not just about us. It's about you. They're attacking a fundamental, um, part of American freedom. Revealed her contempt for professionalism and one of democracy's core tenets. The whole MAGA universe is just going to be trying to weaponize what President Trump has created, which is this groundswell uh, of media hatred. She should call up Manu Raju, <laughs> apologize to Manu Raju. I agree, Wolf. I misspoke. Sure. I'm sorry I did that. Uh, uh, misspoke. You know, and, and then uh, whatever she says. You know exactly and then she should issue said. a public statement. Right. Uh, that's sweet. Apologize. She won't. That's, just, that's sweet. Yeah. She will mend. She will I wish I lived in that world. <laughs> oh, but wait. There's more. Instead of ask, answering a fair question, she simply called you a liberal hack. Uh, it was disgusting. It was awful. Uh, she should know better. Certainly, you're one of the most respected congressional reporters up on Capitol Hill. And Malcolm McSally, as you can see, Wolf, did not want to talk about it. And also, she's in the middle of a very difficult re-election race, and she's using that exchange to fundraise for her campaign. Yeah, it's awful. Wolf. I take it she, she or her staff, no one has reached out to apologize to you, have they? I have not heard from them at all, Wolf. Well, if they did the right thing, uh, she would personally call you and say, I'm sorry, uh, it was an awful, awful thing that she did. You, you saw that you know, disgusting uh, I, statement. I, I watched that she it. Made. She is fundraising off of it. Uh, I think it's foolish on any politician's part to do something like this. You don't want to answer 
don't answer. Bottom line, Manu is a great reporter, and he was doing his job. Yeah, and she thinks that that's going to score political points for her. She's up for re-election in Arizona, and I suspect it won't. The people in Arizona are smarter. The list. She's a Republican from Arizona who, on the day that President Trump went on trial for, among other things, his contempt for the Constitution and the rule of law revealed her contempt for professionalism and one of democracy's core tenets, a free and professional press just doing its job in the halls of Congress. This is what happened when our CNN colleague, Manu Raju, dared to ask the senator a very straightforward and very simple question. A liberal hack. That's what Senator McSally called Manu. Now, for the record, Manu Raju is not just an incredibly fair and responsible journalist. He also happens to be a really good human being and a very nice person. He's incredibly polite, asking public officials questions that they often do not want to be asked. But you know what? They're public officials. That's part of their job. And by the way, the question that he asked, it wasn't exactly what Sarah Palin used to like to call a gotcha question, which weren't actually gotcha questions at all. Should the Senate consider new evidence as part of the impeachment trial? <gasps> wow. If you can't answer that question, maybe you shouldn't have been elected to the Senate. Wait. Oh, sorry. Martha McSally actually wasn't elected to the Senate. She actually tried to get elected, but she lost. I forgot that. She lost actually to a Democrat. She only has the privilege of walking the halls of the Senate and calling others a hack because she was appointed to the job by the governor of Arizona to fill the seat left vacant uh, when John Kyle, who had been temporarily, temporarily filling the seat of the late Senator John McCain, retired. Now, I didn't know much about McSally because her record in the Senate is pretty thin. It turns out McSally is a veteran of the Air Force and has a really honorable and impressive record of service. And she was a trailblazer in the military. She actually sued the Defense Department while serving so that female service members didn't have to wear headscarves when off base, when off base in Saudi Arabia. She may be, you know, pretending to be tough on the media now or hate the media now, but when she wanted attention for her lawsuit, she seemed to have no problem popping up in CBS's 60 Minutes. But look, that was 18 years ago for, you know, person who's become a desperate politician, that's a lifetime. She also didn't seem to dislike the media when Elle magazine, which is not exactly the Daily Caller, profiled her back in 2016. That was when she was portraying herself as a political moderate and, according to Wikipedia, pragmatic conservative. Elle magazine said she, quote, seeks to engage in rational discussion based on mutually agreed facts. Well, based on the mutually agreed fact of her slur against Manu Raju today, I think it's fair to say that McSally's days of engaging in rational discussion are over. See, because what her calling Manu a liberal hack is really about is her running scared and attempting to reinvent herself as a Trump foot soldier. That's what this is about. She's up for re-election. She now actually has to earn her Senate seat, the one she was appointed to, and she's running against former astronaut Mark Kelly. It's going to be a tough election. She's desperate to say or do anything to stay in power. That's what this is about. Back in 2016, she was running for Congress. She didn't endorse Trump. She probably doesn't want to talk about that now, but she didn't endorse Trump. In fact, she actually spoke out against Trump when the Access Hollywood tape came out. McSally has been public about sexual abuse that she says she suffered from a coach when she was in high school. She's been incredibly brave about that. Back then, she said, Trump's comments are disgusting. Joking about sexual assault is unacceptable. I'm appalled. Sure, she was running for re-election as a congresswoman then in a swing district, so maybe it was political calculation, but it was, at least politically, a tough call. 
But once Trump won and she ran for Senate in 2018 for Jeff Flake's seat, she knew which way the wind was blowing. She started embracing Trump. Politico wrote, Martha McSally wants to make one thing clear before she launches an Arizona Senate campaign. She's a big fan of President Donald Trump. Big fan. McSally is brave. She's been in combat. She was a trailblazer in the military. But now she wants to stay in power. So she picks on a good and decent reporter just asking a fair and simple question. And you know how you know that this is all just a political act? Because she herself tweeted out a video of the exchange, and she herself is now fundraising on that exchange. She's trying to make money off the fact that she called Manorajo a liberal hack. And you know what? The president is now asking people to donate to her because she was rude and unprofessional to a reporter. So big, long, slow clap for you. Party be the same way. That's what was so upsetting about McSally today. This is a woman with oh, an amazing man. record of service to this country, and she really acted like a punk today. She did a disservice to herself and the seat that she holds, which is John McCain. But she wasn't even elected. Right, she, she was appointed. She was appointed. She, was appointed. she lost. And she, right. like, uh, through a fluke, like some would say Trump won, but that's a whole other show. But through a fluke, she was appointed. Trump wasn't appointed. Right. He actually won. But through a fluke, she got this seat, and then when she was asked a legitimate question that every single lawmaker, mm -hmm. uh, Democrat or Republican, who has anything to do with this impeachment trial, should be asked, do you want to hear new information? Do you want witnesses? Everyone should be asked that question. If you don't want to answer, guess what? You keep it pushing, keep moving. No comment, yes or no. You right. don't have to be rude. You don't have to degrade someone just because you can't answer the question or because you're afraid you're going to lose to someone who is also very respected back home. And I'm talking about Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Look, there's no question. She's got a tough race on her hands. She's won before. She's run won in Congress. She's got an amazing she pedigree. The question is, is she ruining it all right now? Because if you want to be John McCain, you can't be doing what she did today. And there's only going to be one John McCain, but we know why she's doing it. What bothers me isn't what she did. I've seen a lot worse. No, it bothers it's, me. It's why, though. Well, we get disrespected all the time. We see politicians. Do. Look at the president of the United States. That's nothing compared to what he does. But it's why. She wants to impress him. She didn't even support him in 2016. She called him out about his treatment of women. Uh, now, what is she doing? She's well, that's what bothers me. The, the, the hypocrisy bothers me. And it bothers me that it's acceptable and it's even lauded and applauded among a certain uh, group in our country right now. We are a real news agency, Mr. President. For the millionth time, politicians don't pick sides. Facts first. Yeah, that's CNN. That's 10 minutes of fucking freaking... It was all day. It didn't end. Started with a little tweet from him. McSally, a Republican, facing a difficult election race, which is saying, we're really hoping she doesn't get re-elected. Lashed out when I asked if she would consider new evidence as part of the Senate trial. Martha McSally, to her credit, A, you are, here's a video. Raju's pearl-clutching colleagues at CNN and other liberal outlets were quick to defend. CNN anchor Brian Seltzer. New statement from CNN PR about McSally comment to M.K. Raju is extremely unbecoming for a U.S. senator to sink this level to treat a member of the press this way for simple doing his job. My reply, this twat would do a segment on Fox personality being sexist for bashing a dem female for calling Fox reporter hacks. Now all these liberal prog personality dogpiling on a conservative female isn't sexist. It's journalism. By the way, they proved her point. Then they did. Because you didn't do this with Omar. Omar did the same thing. Dismissed him and was rude. 
in a second we'll see what they did. They brought her on TV. Yeah. They gave her a whole segment. What's your message? Because they're anti-Semites too. Brian Seltzer, the Capitol has press... Hill Press Corps have rallied. Here's the story. James Hassan, Brian has tweeted ten times more about a center making a rude comment to a journal than he ever did about ABC inexplicably killing an expose on Epstein. And then he lists all the stuff. I'm, I'm going to wait till later because there's a bunch. Press cut statement. Raju is a consummate professional. is respected by his journalistic peers and the people he covers. Politics notwithstanding, stating the contrary is factually and ethically wrong. It's ethically wrong to dislike his work. Oh, it is? Dank Knight. I anxiously await the National Press Cut's comments on Omar's attack on Manu. Say this and I'll believe you're sincere. Henry Rogers, a consummate professional, is respected by his journalistic peers and the people he covers. Politics notwithstanding. Because Menendez called Henry Rogers from... The Daily Caller, trash, for asking a question about the Green New Deal. You're trash. There was no press corps. Nobody cared. Jim Scudo, when you got a direct question, attack the reporter. The lead, Jake Tapper. The question was perfectly reasonable and topical, but politely asked, and Manu is respected on the Hill by Democrats and Republicans. Oh, really? And Republicans? Are you sure about that? I mean, anybody in the world with two eyes knows there's a different way reporters ask questions to Republicans and ask the Democrats. We, we highlight it on the show. There's no hard pressing when they fuck up. Not every re- Democrat has to pay for the sins of a Republican. They do. I mean, any Democrat has to pay the sins for the Democrats, whereas Republicans have to pay, pay for the sins of any fucking conservative speaker on the planet. Tapper again. Given that McSally was appointed to serve... The remainder of Senator John McCain's term, I asked family members what they thought. This is how far he went. He went to McCain people. There's no laws lost between our family and her. Amongst the other slights, Sally didn't mention McCain during the signing of the defense bill named for McCain. Everybody in the planet, laugh my ass off. That's some petty journalism tapper. This is pure spiteful gossip. I wish I could say it was beneath you. Sadly, it isn't. Another one. But we're firefighters. We rush towards a soldier, get co- uh, towards a story, get called a name. I'm telling the McCain family on you. Everyone loves that old racist bigot John McCain now, which is totally the case. I've said it on the show. They could not stand that mother. He was dead in 2008. The motherfucker was cremated already in a grave. That's why you shouldn't vote for him. Then he was a racist, sexist, xenophobe. My reply, given you are a liberal fucking hack, I'm old enough to remember when John McCain was a steaming pile of shit for you, journalist. When he ran against Dear One, well, that was while he was alive, because in 2008, it was okay for Obama company to question his health. Hashtag hackery. PBS, Chris Bury, the answer was asinine, rude and ugly. Daily Beast, Molly Jong Fast, that piece of shit. So Martha McSally said something rude to reporter, and now Trump World is rewarding her by helping her fundraise. Yeah, you attacked combat vets. Joy Reed. McSally faces a tough election for the seat she was appointed to after losing to Kristen Sinema in 2018. She's polling behind former astronaut Gabby Gifford's husband, Mark Kelly, because everybody on the planet's giving him money. Garrett Hake from MSDNC. 
tells you a little something about how McSally views a re-election race. You, the decision to moderate, pray for independence or hug Trump and hope to juice the base. Last world, O'Donnell. I've never seen a senator treat a reporter like this. Raju is one of the best congressional reporters I've ever seen, including my years working in the Senate. I've never detected a hint of liberalism or partisanship. Really? Not a hint. Not a smidgen. You fucking hacks. Chris Saliza, this is what Trump was wrought in the GOP. Somebody replies, you brought this on yourself for three straight years of lying on a daily basis about Trump, Russia, the dossier, and literally everything. Me, for the millionth time, CNN pick sides, you reap what your hackery sows, Squidward. <laughs> he looks like Squidward. Josh Rogan, this is an insult to the ideals and integrity of Senate seat she inherited from John McCain. Because John McCain's a great guy now, because he hated Trump. Here's her response, because she went on Fox very smartly. <laughs> Senator, do you regret what you said? Uh, no, Laura, I do not. And I said it again, actually, as I went in. I said, you're a liberal hack, buddy. As you know, I, I mean, these, these CNN reporters, but many of them around the Capitol, uh, they are so biased. Uh, they are so in cahoots with the Democrats. They so can't stand the president. And they run around trying to chase, you know, Republicans and ask trapping questions. I'm a fighter pilot. You know, I called it like it is. Uh, and that's what we see out of the mainstream media and especially CNN every single day. Uh, so obviously, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna tell the truth, and I did it today, and it's laughable how they've responded. Well, they were saying... Then we get into the downright fucking ugly. And once again, this doesn't surprise me, being it's Cuomo, because Cuomo is a prog. Cuomo says he wants to punch people in the face and throw hands. Pro Cuomo plays this nice Catholic boy who's just a punk, but he calls a woman, a veteran woman, a punk, and nobody in the media sees this as being wrong. Party be the same way. That's what was so upsetting about McSally today. This is a woman with an oh, amazing man. record of service to this country, and she really acted like a punk today. She did a disservice to herself and the seat that she holds, which is John McCain. But she wasn't even elected. So right, she, was appointed. Appointed. she was appointed. She was appointed. She lost. And to, right. like a, through a fluke, like some would say Trump won, but that's a whole other show. But through a fluke, she was appointed. Trump wasn't appointed. Right. He actually won. But through a fluke, she got this seat. And then when she was asked a legitimate question that every single lawmaker, mm -hmm. uh, Democrat or Republican, who has anything to do with this impeachment trial, should be asked, do you want to hear new yeah. information? Do you want witnesses? Everyone should be asked that question. If you don't want to answer, guess what? You keep it pushing, keep moving. No comment, yes or no. You right. don't have to be rude. You don't have to degrade someone just because you can't answer the question or because you're afraid you're going to lose to someone who is also very respected back home. And I'm talking about Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Look, there's no question. She's got a tough race on her hands. She's won before. She's run one in Congress. She's got an amazing she pedigree. The question is, is she ruining it all right now? Because if you want to be John McCain, you can't be doing what she did today. And there's only going to be one John McCain. But we know why she's doing it. What bothers me isn't what she did. I've seen a lot worse. No, it bothers it's, me. It's why, though. Well, we get disrespected all the time. We see politicians do. Look at the president of the United States. That's nothing compared to what he does. But it's why. 
She wants to impress him. She didn't even support him in 2016. She called him out about his treatment of women. Uh, now, what is she doing? She's well, that's what bothers me. It, the, the hypocrisy bothers me, and it bothers me that it's acceptable and it's even lauded and applauded among a certain uh, group in our country right now. If, you, if it sounds like there's popcorn on the tape today, it's because I got the fire going. It is 16 degrees outside and snowing. Um, not bad enough I'd drive the wife to work. It's just flurrying. So um, I got a little fire going so I don't freeze my tuchus off. But um, listen, you, you're going to think I'm petty saying this. But I'm not Penny. I'm calling it out. I'm holding them to their own standards. Their standards of conduct. Could you call Omar a punk? Would that fly? Hell no. She's a black. She's Muslim. She's a woman. She's got three checks on the intersectionality scorecard. You can't do that. But you can call a female conservative a punk. You can belittle her. You can go off on her. All this conduct, this is their standard. This is the media's standard. This is how they conduct themselves. This is what they do when they deal with conservatives. The best way for a you know them to deal with conservatives, a female conservative uh, says something, it's grounded in facts, it's, it's calling out the left or the media on their fucking hypocrisy. Instead of addressing the facts, what do we do? We go out to the person and we say, she's a punk. But you can't do that the other way around. That's sexism. Name this profile. I get it. He's upset with the way she acted. He's also doesn't deny that his colleague's a liberal hack. Destructive chemistry is what most of people said, including me, proving McSally right. Smart politics. Sally makes her race a referendum on CNN. Dictating how people should respond. This is the media. Do what we say. How dare she speak the truth? He called her a punk. Seriously? Chris Cuomo upset the Republicans are growing a spine. A bow tie wearing surrender caucus is over. Now they punch back and liberal hacks have forgotten how to handle that. Which is true because they usually just take it. Sexist. About a hundred sexist. If anyone would know how to punk would act, it would be Chris Cuomo. Remember how mad Frito got when somebody called him Frito? We should definitely not call him Frito. So don't call him Frito. Got it? I mean, this guy was going to beat somebody up. And he's calling somebody a punk. Me. Calling a veteran female, this is my response to him, a pink, a punk, you hypocrite, sexist, liberal, hack. A, you are by your definition a sexist for speaking to a woman like this, called out others. B, would defend a dem, ignored Omar towards CNN, if, say, same was directed towards Fox. C, you and rest of CNN lineup proved her point by your reaction. D, you're a liberal hack and a hypocrite. Large poll. Now we're getting to all the other responses. Who the hell does Anderson... Cooper think he's telling Senator McSally she hasn't earned her seat, as if Anderson Cooper doesn't come from Vanderbilt fortune, like he earned anything in his rich, pampered life. That's true. A lot of people covered this, and I know I covered on the show, but I don't remember it. How come he didn't cover when Menendez called a Daily Caller reporter trash? BT, you folks really show McSally how to act like a mature adult. I'm sorry this happened to you, heroes. Between Maju and Anderson Cooper, CNN's already bursting at the seams with stunning bravery. (laughs) 
Politico is rude to reporter. Leftist media goes on multi-day binge of righteous indignation and victim status signaling in response. I thought you peeps were firefighters. Another one. Remember when journalists had to be tough? Glad those days are over. Another one. In 2020, all the comedians want to be journalists and all the journalists want to be comedians. <laughs> Krasinski came on. Video of Marco Stanley exchanged with Maku Raju when asked about considering new evidence to send an impeachment trial. Stedman. McSally isn't loved by Trump right in Arizona and she made this impeachment trial as a way to shore up her base cred. Tom Nichols. She was supposed to be one of the moderates that Republicans argued we should protect from my vote them all out approach. This is why the whole crew over there needs to go. And he's a conservative. No, he's not. Dan Pfeiffer. A vulnerable Republican senator having a meltdown before the trial even starts suggests that maybe McConnell's position on impeachment is not a winner. Claire McCaskill has said way worse about Fox. Cracking under pressure. Pressure. Not a good look. Eric Solwell. Are honorings one's oath, objectivity, considering evidence, and honoring the Constitution exclusively liberal values now? Here's McSally's number. Tell her what you think. A fucking punk. You said you wanted to nuke America. Howard Dean. I guess she only wants to represent half of Arizona. He actually said that. When do liberals ever represent conservatives? Anybody out there. The entire time liberals are in office, the page in Oregon's love them because they fuck your religion, fuck babies, fuck at your gun, fuck you. Fuck you, you just shut your fucking mouth. Elections have consequences. That's their approach. WAPO got in the act. Chilling, vile, vicious. Washington Post wails after McSally calls CNN reporter a liberal hack. Just a second. Let me switch my mouth. The only thing the media hates more than a Democrat getting humiliated by the right is when the media gets humiliated by the right. I'm going to read a liberal hack. That afternoon, the Washington Post rushed to Rush's rescue with an overwrought opinion piece attacking McSally, saying her outburst was evidence that the Republicans wouldn't conduct a fair impeachment. Okay. Showcase how reporters have thinnest skin possible. The Plum Line's Greg Sargent headline full of hyperbole read, GOP Senator's vicious outburst shows a corruption of Trump defenders. If that wasn't bad enough, the original title called it a nasty meltdown. Instead, Sargent colleagues... Media critic Eric Wimple tweeted out the article with an absurd tease. What's behind Martha McSally's chilling insult to CNN's Maju Raju? In the body of the article, Sargent was offended by Vile McSally having the audacity to mean a polite, hardworking journalist and then owning it. If you were a United States senator who just snapped angrily a reporter for politely asking whether compelling new information about a matter of great importance to the nation, oh yeah, nobody cares about the, you know, nobody cares about the impeachment. Polls show it. Nobody gives a fuck. Nobody's following it. Nobody fucking cares except for you and the media and the left because you want the dude to go on. But nobody else gives a flying fuck. Um, whether or probably you know, understand the consequential matter. You probably wouldn't see this as something to advertise. But then again, you're not Martha McSally of Arizona. McSally did exactly that. 
yet she is now treating it as a badge of honor, as something to boast about. But whether or not this was a setup, McSally is now treating it as something that will give her a political boost, which is just beyond pathetic. Funny. I haven't seen the Post complain about various Democrat politicians fundraising over the viral moment, such as Nancy Pelosi selling merchandise at her moment attacking a right-leaning reporter. In fact, Jennifer Rubin loved the pizzazz from a strong, defiant woman. Yet Sargent was miffed at the vile insult because Raju didn't even ask a liberal question. He compared his exchange to the impeachment trial, claimed Republicans didn't want to be held accountable by anyone. Note, this is now seen as liberal to merely ask a Republican senator whether she feels any obligation to consider the full set of facts before exercising her constitutional right when what's seen as liberal here plainly is that this question should be asked of republican senators at all sergeant ended his article arguing sally's mcsally's outburst effectively ripped off the mask of republicans the media's outrage should be tempered by their acknowledgement that they were willing propagated too many conspiracies and false stories by president trump to count the biggest being russia collusion with trump campaign on a separate note as newsbusters point out Ilian omar was rude to the same reporter and i never saw an article about chilling there was no chilling articles. But think about that for a second. I'm not hitting that angle when I really should be. We just had on the show Pelosi, words matter, don't ever call me that I hate, and went off on a liberal hack. And she's numerous saying, oh, you're a conservative reporter. I mean, we've, we've done it on the show. There was no WAPO articles, New York Times. There was no, why is Pelosi not asking a question of the Daily Caller? These things are never asked. They don't care. They don't see that as inappropriate because they, in their mind, unless it's the big print media, Daily Wire, Daily Caller, all the things that are the same thing HuffPo is. If you're honest arbiter of our news, they are just like HuffPo. They're not real news agencies. And Fox reporters are dissed all the time by the left. There's no articles from WAPO about how that's so chilling and vile. It's not even covered. If anything, it's tweeted on on fucking Twitter as, and yeah, this is a Twitter moment. We'll get to it in a second. As Democrat confronts, it's not attack, it's confront. Comfortably smug. This is the sexism women face every day. They don't stop, smile, and answer when a man talks to them. They're lashing out. See? <laughs> we'll play your game. How many women have to put up with manis on the street, manis on the bus, manis on the subway, manis online? Saying no to manis should be a bad thing. Me. This wouldn't make a Twitter moment if it was a fucking damn female saying it to Fox. Additionally, the males piling on this would be sexist pieces of shit for the comments, especially CNN. Fucking hypocrites. To Maju directly, if she was a Dem saying it to Fox, it wouldn't be a Twitter moment, and you hypocrites would be clutching pearls, but Dems don't talk to Fox. They are worse. And I'm right. I mean, that's literally the truth. That They don't even talk. Then we got this article. Did, 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 did suddenly everybody forget Nancy Pelosi dismissing Sinclair reporter James Rosen not once but twice in recent months? In November, she called him Mr. Republican Talking Points. And in December, she scolded him to not mess with me. Many CNN and MSDNC journalists raved over that exchange. And let's, let's look at the CNN stuff. Let me open it up. 
I'm not going to play it because we just played it. CNN liberals love iconic Pelosi putting Sinclair James Rosen in his place. <laughs> On CNN New Day Friday morning, they spent at least two segments praising Pelosi and defending the pro-abortion Democrat as a devout Catholic. Don't mess with me. One of my many iconic Nancy Pelosi moments of the period. You know, it wasn't that long ago when there was a rebellion of the same Democrats in the House representative trying to get a new speaker. She is so commanding this process and blah, 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 blah. Do we remember all this? We just played this. This is from uh, December 6th. We just played this. This was, oh, it's fine. It, it's okay. You, you, she called him out and then, the next incidents, it was something to do with their religion, and before that, Mr. Republican talking points. I mean, they're so fucking hypocritical. I mean, it's almost disgusting how hypocritical they can be, because they don't do the same thing for both sides. Moving on to the article. While liberal journalists were outraged on Raju's behalf, the Federalist Molly Hemley tweeted out several articles showing how Raju played a part in network's shoddy coverage on everything from Covington Kids to Kavanaugh. Molly Hemingway, CNN should probably file SEC report for their DNC contribution. Martha McSally responds to CNN demand she apologized for pointing out her hackery. 61 hacks who peddled the collusion and should never be trusted again. I did not put it in the article, in my script because it was too long. But we covered this on the show. We're just going to go through this really quick. Chuck Ross. New York Times. John Brennan, President Trump claims on no collusion or hogwash. Okay, let's do this. Add your favorite tweet, age poorly. John Brennan on TV. CNN contributor uh, James Clapper played a key role in both creating the Russian hoax, and perpetuating it over the next two years as CNN contributor. According to Declassified Congress, Clapper leaked details. Remember that? We covered that. Uh, let's go to the next one. John Schneider. John McLaughlin. Andrea Mitchell. Paul Krugman. Maggie Haberman. David Korn, Joy Reid, Oliver Darcy, Chris Matthews. Uh, don't forget NBC's Chris Hayes, who gave airtime to Jonathan Chait to push the possibility Trump had been a Russian intelligence ass since the 87. Uh, Chris Hayes. While he's at it, Monroe takes down Joe Scarborough. Scarborough, Oliver Darcy, and Chris Matthew. By the way, all these tweets are fucking deleted because they got caught. MSDNC, CNN, and NBC, CBS all covered in shame. Doing double duty for NBC and MSNBC, so-called reporter Ken Dillian kept the collusion conspiracy going after men reporting fake news, such as the bombshell that Russian link operatives approached Trump team in 2016, which was false. Um, it goes on and on. Uh, you can go find this on the Federalist. Dot com and it is called uh, 61 Hacks Who Peddled Russian Collusion It Should Never Be Trusted Again. We did it on the show. When it, when the bottom fell the fuck out, we did this on the show and we covered it. But that's that's what they did. And, and they're, they're not, they're real news. Facts first. 
Art, uh, her tweets go on. Remind us, is it becoming or unbecoming for CNN, including key players, Kam- Maju Raju, to have spent years promulgating the false and dangerous disinformation campaign of treasonous Russian collusion, or the Covington House, or the Kavanaugh Spears? That's still cool, right? Greg Price. The most amazing thing about journalists today is they criticize other people for living, but say it's unbecoming of a senator to throw it right back in their face. By weird coincidence, Maju Raju's question about witnesses was a precise echo of Democrat talking points by Brian Seltzer and two others. And he shows that that's exactly what they're saying. Too bad she just said what half the country feels. Kyle Cheney, Politico. A little insight into how calculated this was. McSally attacked Manu at 10 a.m., she was registered the name Liberal Hack by 11 a.m. And she probably didn't, and one of her campaign managers did. Maggie Haberman, are you suggesting this may not be in the level? So she did it on purpose. It was an act. That's, that's what they forwarded, Politico and the New York Times. People reply, the only insight here is how aggressively stupid the political journalist class is. It's a domain name purchase, not open-heart surgery, and it happened after the exchange, not before. Um, I'm hoping Manu recovers fully after he leaves the ICU. Hey, reporters, there's um, some real important shit going on, and we need you. 40 minutes to register to name name and 39 more than you need. Sorry, your friend got yelled at, but come the fuck on. We need you on your A-game. Ted Cruz, New York damn royalty, Chris Cuomo declares, I cannot believe people would vote McSally or McConnell or any GOP candidate. Clutching his pearls in the very same breath, he says he can't understand why anyone might think CNN are liberal hacks. Pro tip, real journalists don't, one, kiss up to every dem, two, refuse to ask them hard questions, three, relentlessly attack every Republican, four, lie when doing so, and finally, five, Always, always push the prevailing dem narrative of the moment. You know this, as does Manu. You chose to do it. I don't like carrying Ted Cruz tweets on my shows, but that's the fact, Jack. That sums it up, and it's why it's my last statement on this issue. That That's it. From interviews... To articles, you if you have two eyes and ears, and you shut off your part partisanship, you you disconnect from Trump is bad, and look at the media, not just during Trump, during everything. I mean, I got a media section today where they're 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 pre guessing like it's the Oscars, who the New York Times going to pick for Democratic candidate for president. And that goes on the air on CNN because they already know them and CNN, CNN and the New York Times, they're not going to pick Trump. They never pick a Republican. You never have a Republican picked by any of these outfits. They don't pick them for Senate. They don't pick them for fucking Congress. They don't pick them for governor, stateship. You look at any of these fucking, these News agencies that stress democracy dies in the dark, fast first, we're journalists, we don't pick sides. They're always picking sides. You never have a debate 
where questions are about something wrong a Democrat did. You always have Senator Suckhead who said, put an aspirin between your knees is best birth control. That was a question. Do you think Sandra Flukes is slut? Those are questions. Because once again, when a Republican fucks up, every Republican has to answer for it. When a Democrat fucks up, they don't even say they're a Democrat. There's no D. They just don't say it. It's fucking criminal. So, that's our segment on this. We're going to go into a music break. I don't know what I'm going to play today. It's going to be brief, though. And then we're going to come into the Women's March, which was still trying to be pushed, even though was I, there wasn't one here and there wasn't a lot of participation. But it just buttresses perfectly. It's like a dovetail into this segment. Because there's actually an article, why is it not being supported anymore? And they completely omit and forget that their leaders were all anti-Semite pieces of shit. Because facts first. We're journalists. We don't pick sides. We're cornered in fire, so break out the secrets. I hope you know that you were worth it all along. I'm tired, you're angry, and everyone looks blurry. I love you. Leaving so long Hey little one
Sonny, it doesn't make a difference I don't care about anything at all It's raining, it's sunny, it doesn't make a difference I don't care about anything at all Welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast with Tony Reese. Fuck the patriarchy. Fuck Donald Trump. Fuck Mike Pence. Fuck white supremacy. Fuck racism. Fuck misogyny. Fuck homophobia. Fuck transphobia. Fuck capitalism. Fuck classism. Fuck transphobia. Fuck ableism, fuck Islamophobia, fuck anti-Semitism, fuck every kind of bigotry out there. I'm here in front of the White House. I am not here for polite protest because patriarchy is not polite. I am not here for quiet protest because patriarchy is not quiet. Fuck the patriarchy here in Washington, D.C. Fuck the patriarchy in Cairo, Egypt, where I'm from. Fuck the patriarchy across the world. Fuck the patriarchy in every time zone. And fuck the patriarchy in every universe. That pretty much sums up every woman's march. But you won't see that in history. National Archives says it altered Trump signs, other messages, and women's march photo. This was a Twitter moment. I'm going to tell you right now, brothers and sisters, they did it to protect the moment and show these brave women out fighting the patriarchy and not because they were trying to protect Trump or something. I saw people trying to mention in some way that it it had something to do with Trump did it. Understand when this was done, uh, Trump had just taken office. These are Obama holdovers doing what Obama holdovers do. Rewrite history. Erase any negative. Remember, Democrats are saying people took the W's off computers when George W. Bush got elected. And they hold, after an eight-year period, every job everywhere. Why do you think why do you think it's so Democrat right now in Washington still four years later? It became a Democrat city for four years. I mean, it's always votes Democrat. I'm just saying every key position, everything is Democrat, Democrat, Democrat. Because over an eight-year period, it, the, the ruling party brings in their people. The National Archives acknowledged this week that it altered photographs of Women's March, which took place the day after President Trump's inauguration in 2017 to blur some signs held by marchers. Among the alterations are blotted out the words Trump in a placard that reads God hates Trump, and the blurring of some words and other words that read Trump and GOP hands off women's vaginas or whatever. Words and other signs referencing female anatomy were also altered. The archive said the decision to obscure certain words was made to exhibit featuring the march was being developed. It said the archivist David Ferrer was appointed by former President 
President Obama and was involved in the talks report supported the decision. It's a nonpartisan, nonpolitical federal agency would blur references to the president's name on some posters so as not to engage in current political controversy. Archive spokesperson Miriam Kaliman said the statement to the Washington Post. Our mission is to safeguard and provide access to the nation's most important federal records and our exhibits are one way in which we connect the American people to those records. Modifying the Im- image was an attempt to our part keep focus on the records, Kleiman added. Kleiman went on to note that the archives welcomes groups of students and young people who have could view the words as inappropriate. The archives only alter images and exhibits when they are used as graphic design components. Do not alter images or documents that are displayed as art f- artifacts and exhibit exhibition. In this case, the image is part of a promotional display, not an artifact. Historians interviewed by the Post expressed disappointment with the decision. There's no reason for the National Archive ever to digitally alter a historic photo. If they don't want to use a specific image, then don't use it. But to confuse the public is reprehensible. The head of the archive has to very quick fix this damage. A lot of history is messy, and there's zero reasons why the archives can't be upfront about a photo from a woman's march. It's what liberals do. They want it to go downhill or down the stream that these brave women went out there and were fighting for real shit. And they weren't. There was no real threat on them. There was no threat of anything. It was hate of conservatives. That's all that whole thing was. And I started with that soundbite. It didn't get any better from then. But we'll get to it. But it didn't get better. It's hate. It's vile, repugnant women who hate men, Christians, hate everything. They're hateful. But you can't put that as a historic thing, that there's a bunch of women running around America that hate everybody. No, they're brave, brave protesters. Remember, Democrats who protest are brave. Republicans who protest are white supremacist supremacist Nazis. Yeah, we'll see that too. Anti-Trump protests, anti-Trump protests have shrunk. What's it mean for 2020? Day after, day after Trump killed an Iranian general and said he was sending more soldiers to the Middle East, about 100 protesters stood on the pedestrian street of Chicago, Lakeshore Drive. No war in Iran. Some 200 people marched in the bitter cold near Boston, while a few dozen people demonstrated on the steps of Los Angeles City Hall. Three years after the Trump took office, millions of people swarmed the Women's March in Washington and companion marches across the country. These typical modest protests are often the most visible sign of today's Trump resistance. Activists say the numbers should not be mistaken for lack of energy or motivation to vote Trump out of office. The anti-Trump movement of 2020, they say, is more organized and more focused on action. Many people have moved from protesting to knocking on doors for candidates, mailing postcards, yada yada. But the movement that sprung up to oppose Trump's presidency also is more splintered than it was when pink-handed protesters flooded Washington the day after his inauguration for when it generally regarded as the largest protest in the city since the Vietnam era. There have been schisms with the presidential candidates to back in 2020, as well as disagreements about race and religion and about whether the march reflects the diversity of the movement. Those divisions linger even as many on the left say the need a united front heading in November election. Dispute led to dueling events in New York City last year, the resignation of some national women's leaders, and the disbanding of the group on Washington State. Why did that happen? It's Washington Post. They didn't put it back in. Organizers expected about 100,000 people across the country to participate this year's Women March, taking place on Saturdays 
in over 180 cities, several thousand, thousands gathered in Washington, far fewer than the turnout last year when about 100,000 people held a rally on the White House. Instead of a single big event, there were various actions this past week that focused on climate change, immigration, reproductive rights. Those issues appear more important to Saturday's protesters in the national capital. I teach a lot of immigrant students in the political times like this. I want to make sure I'm using my voice to speak for them, said Rochelle McGurn, 30, an elementary school instructor from Burlington, Vermont. They need to feel like they belong because they do. The week reflects about the movement as moving into the next stage, said director Caitlin Breedlove. Leader of MoveOn.org, which organized some of the anti-war, anti-Iran war protests, agreed. Mobilization manager Kate Alexander said the group and its members pulled together about 370 protests in 46 states. In less than 48 hours show resistance to Trump's action. The president of the airstrike is Salami. Iran pledged blah, 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 blah. Alexander noted that the Iran protest is just one of many issues MoveOn.org members have organized in response the past few years. It's not that there are fewer people mobilizing. It's that there's mobilization in different campaigns. There's more to do. I don't believe people are... I don't believe people are tuning out. I think people are lying in wait. Ooh, lying in wait. Ooh, yeah. Mm. While waiting, many have passed on some major moments of Trump's presidency. Resistant groups rallied on the eve of House vote for impeachment, but even some of those who participated said they were disappointed more people didn't come out. Several organizations all said much of the organizing is done through social media or text messages and email programs, which are less visible but have a significant impact. In 2018, the Women's March had over 24 billion social impressions, which are counted by Twitter, but when you have conservative stuff, it's never counted. Atev said, a sociology professor at the University of Illinois in Chicago, said all social movements evolve over time. You know, the Trump resistance movement is global and will continue regardless of whether Trump is reelected. Movements always rise and decline in terms of number on the ground. Andy Koch, a 30-year-old nurse who lives in Chicago, has seen ebb and flow firsthand. Koch has been active in, active in protesting Trump's policies even before he took office. When Koch was a student, in Illinois, Trump's campaign canceled a 2016 speech at the campus following tense student protest. Koch said the anti-Trump activism swelled when he first talk, took office, and again in early 2017 when he announced his first travel ban. Roughly 1,000 people mobilized in Chicago immediately after Trump authorized the attack on the Rand leader, and then the crowd subsided a few days later after a threat of war seemed to subside following Trump's address to the nation on January 8th. That day, a few dozen, including Coke, showed up at 20 degree Fahrenheit, minus 7 Celsius, because we need to put that in there for some reason, uh, outside Trump International Hotel in Chicago during rush hour. Coke understands the mass of people won't show up for every protest. What allows those numbers to come out and continue organizing going in between these events? He said, there have been numerous smaller protests that have been involved, with, including protests U.S. force policy in Venezuela and Syria, and they've taken other forms. For instance, he helped plan a teach-in on Iranian foreign policy this week at UIC. Maya Wells, a 21-year-old political science senior at the University of North Carolina at Charlottesville, was a speaker of the rally last week in Charlotte. Wells, who is a Persian-American and has family in Iran, said she doesn't look at the numbers of people who turn out, but rather the fact that they took time of their day to be there. I see more people coming because many of my friends who are conservative and voted for Trump, they're against this, she said, adding the most recent protest wasn't the last. There will be more days to come, Wells said, I have no doubt. This uh, this story has been corrected to show Women's March organizers expect about 10,000 people, not 100,000, and they didn't even get close. Do you notice in there, and once again, uh, 
This is about accuracy. Did they interview anybody who was there and decided to leave? Any? No, no, they don't do that. They they don't get the person that says, hey, you know, I was, but the group got too violent or didn't include this or didn't do anything. And and I I go to the Twitter moment. Listen to this. Those are little kids. Fuck Donald Trump. Here's uh, Kate Hopkins, an annual competition to see who could be the ugliest. I hope it's cold and your cats are lonely. Let's see what she has to say. Chubby women get to Today is the fourth annual Women's March. <laughs> the Women's March, for those that don't know, is uh, where a bunch of kind of chubby women, would we call them chubby? Yeah, we would. Chubby women get together and march in protest about the fact that Trump is president. They say things like, not my president. They have a little dance routine and they usually bang drums. Um, but essentially they compete to see who can be the ugliest uh, I would be there, of course, except that I've nearly lost my voice, and I so I sound even more like a man than I look, so maybe I'd be denied entry today. Um, they carry signs, these women, on their Women's March, um, but they're very confused. Some of them are holding signs saying, save the polar bears and the ice cap- caps. Uh, others are holding signs saying, um, this is my uterus, my uterus, my body. Yeah, we kind of worked that one out. Others have signs saying equal pay. Essentially, they don't really know why they're there other than they loosely identify as a woman. Uh, these are the same women that walked around when Trump first got into power with those stupid little pussy hats on. I saw one woman with a sign saying, my pussy is made of steel. How lovely for you. My pussy had a 14 pound baby out of it without a single stitch, but I don't feel the need to put that on a poster and walk around. Good for her. That's the number one. That surprises me. Um, Live action, only uh, only one March truly values the entire being of woman, while the other ask her to reject a significant part of herself. March for life. Good for them. They got it in here. That's coming up. We'll cover it. Um, let's see. Uh, we will not be silenced. We will rise and make tomorrow a better day. Three years of marching, training, organizing, building power. It's all been leading us up to this. Katie Hill. Yeah, you fucking suck. Today I attended my first women's march, and I'm so proud of how my placard turned out. Girl power. Mm. These students will change the world. Equal rights amendment. This is what resistance, uh, the power to the people. It's all bumper stickers. Uh, A little child that was cold as fuck, and they're holding up a sign that they colored. Um... The Women's March was one of the most inspiring moments I've ever witnessed in politics. As women gather again for Women's March 2020, it's clear the movement is growing. We're in the fight for this democracy. Kristen Gillibrand. And almost every one of these, you don't see the pictures now. You don't see it. Because there's hardly anybody there. There's still floating pictures from the first march. Uh, here's a, a lady she put on, um, prepared for tomorrow, Andrea. Turns out I'm 100% that bitch. They tried to bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. This is my resisting bitch face with the middle finger. Is that nice? Cage the con, not the kids. Reminder from today's Women's March 2020 that Donald Trump should be prosecuted for crimes against humanity. And the whole world just told this lady, are you a fucking moron? Um... 
Yeah, I'm not going to go to the Twitter moment. They didn't push it that much because I'm going to tell you, it wasn't that big a deal because there wasn't that many people. They just didn't say anything. CNN, donning their iconic pink hat, pink knit pussy hats, women and their allies are gathering Saturday across the United States for the fourth annual Women's March. Chuck Schumer, I'm so proud to stand with everyone marching for Women's Day in New York. Jesus freaking Christ. Um, chubby women competing to see who can be the ugliest holding signs about their vaginas. Somebody fucking tweeted that lady's shit. Agu Tagusam, calm down, rich, white, middle-aged, coastal property-owning, Land Rover-driving, double macchiato, soy, no whip, no foam, Apple iPhone 11, husband who's wearing slippers and drives a riding lawnmower, two kids who hate their parents and just TikTok all day, one dog lady, Trump wins. (laughs) Woo! Now this, put this out, the patriarchy is our judge that imprisons us at birth. Protesters gathered to perform the global feminist anthem, A Rapist in Your Path, during the 20 women, 2020 Women's March March in Washington, D.C. The song was first written and performed during national protests in Chile last year. And uh, sounds like, well, I'll just play both my sound bites. I have one of protesting and then the second one will be this little song, A Rapist in Your Path. Somebody tweeted this, Mr. Bubbles. We just arrived in Tehran for the march. It's really strange. No one's here. The people look pissed. Maybe I should take on my pussy hat. Maybe Don Lemon should put away his gay pride flag. Where's the Starbucks we're meeting at? That pretty much sums up the women's march. Nancy Sinclair in New York City today, when asked what rights men have, all women's d- women don't, most mentioned the wage gap. When I presented that the wage gap is actually an earnings gap, they just walked away. And that's how it works. Washington Post smears civil war on gun march, touts hope and fury, feminist fury at rapist Trump. Um, the convoys and milit- militias are coming. If social media posts are to be believed, headed to Virginia, capital takes stand for gun rights, or in other words of some, to fan the flames of civil war. This is a sleazy way for the Post to editorialize, just adding in the words of some, as if it's 
isn't the Post's viewpoint. The reporters fixate on fringy military types to represent the Second Amendment movement. The whole echo of the article was about violent menacing fanaticism. The headline was Richmond Braces for Gun Rights Assembly. Official step-up security as thousands expect to descend on Virginia Capitol descend like flying monkeys from the Wizard of Oz. This is not what they did for the pussy hat protest on Saturday. No one braced for that. The headline was election year brings up feelings of hope at Women's March. Inside was another sugary header, united by new hope, thousands braved weather for March. Reporters Marissa Lang and Samantha Schneider hailed the marching feminists for braving the cold, freezing rain and couldn't find an, ide- an ideological label. Women across the country sent final rebuke to President Trump for the 2020 election, but many women said this year's march took on a new note. Instead of feeling angry, fearful, or devastated by Trump's ascent on the presidency, demonstrators say they felt something new, hope. Oh, f- fuck word surfaced, but that was it. The annual feminist demonstration had a burst into national consciousness. Translation drew tons of liberal media hype in 2017 and inspired millions taking the streets of Washington across the globe. There was women right activists in attendance. There were no extremists. The blatant anti-Semitism of Women's March leaders suffered briefly in page or paragraph 40. The Post also delayed until the end those allegations representative for all women chanting that Trump was a rapist. Activists said one of the march's most powerful moments came outside the White House as Chilean feminist collective La Tis led a performance of Un Violator, that we just played it, a feminist protest anthem that excoriates patriarchal rule, um, rape culture, and violence against women. The last paragraph reported outside the Trump International Hotel, marchers broke into song and dance, berating, uh, beating drums, and clapping hands to beat of Chilean protester chant. The crowd burst into cheers, women pointing at Trump's gold-plated name as they shouted together, the rapist is you, isn't rapist more vicious than liberal hack washington posties a rudimentary knowledge of spanish like mine could show the powerful chilean chant clearly meant to smear trump at the rapist in the feminist path um yeah fuck it let's get and then the back end it was just all fucking because they arrested two white supremacists everybody's a white supremacist marissa jane lang the moment at the Washington, D.C. was described by many as one of its most powerful, and I already played it. Then NBC's Ben Collins lecturing reporters attending the white nationalist rally in Virginia about verifying information. We know, we know, we feel like we're setting people up to accept this challenge, so maybe we should just say this tweet is really, really stupid. Ben Collins. Reporters covering tomorrow's white nationalist rally in Virginia, I'm absolutely begging you, verify information before you send it out tomorrow. Even if it's a very sensational rumor you heard from a cop, don't become a hero in neo-Nazi propaganda circles with made-up stuff. Tomorrow isn't a white nationalist rally. These are reporters getting back on them. But you're here to tell those of us who will actually be covering it to be careful about accuracy? Are you joking? I'm well aware of this arrest. The rally is not organized by white nationalists. It isn't any way from for white nationalists. You're lying to people while berating other reporters to be accurate. What is wrong with you? It's not a white nationalist rally. You're telling others not to spread fake news while you're doing it yourself. It's not a white nationalist rally. It's a pro-gun rights rally with the majority being good people. Speaking of propaganda made up stuff, Lobby Day isn't a white nationalist 
Nationalist Rally, but in an annual event for Virginians to lobby lawmakers. Is this the type of coverage we should expect from NBC News? Calling this a white nationalist rally from the outset was kind of ridiculous. You can make your point that white nationalists have shown interest in it without irresponsibly trying to paint everyone going to 2A rally as a white nationalist. This doesn't help. You're spreading propaganda. It's a pro-Second Amendment rally alone. To extent, white nationalists may show they are Antifa plants or a handful of unwelcome provocateurs. But you know this, because you know something's going to happen. Ben Collins. So I've had the honor of being retweeted by some people disputing the characterization of the rally in my mentions, many of whom are less than polite than Stephen here. Here's how this gun rally devolved into being co-opted. Stephen, I know we both mean well here, and there will be definitely be a ton of people there protesting in support of 2A rights. There's also an enormous amount of 4chan and Kunan chatter, and there have been an unprecedented number of white nationalist arrests before the rally. These guys go to 4chan and believe that that is like the pipeline that makes everybody on the right do something. We despise white nationalists. We have been fighting them on this platform for three years now. There's no indication this pro-2A rally tomorrow has anything to do with white nationalists, branding people who are not white nationalists and white nationalists a gift to white nationalists. Would you prefer to the women's march, would you refer to the women's march as the anti-Semitic rally because of the view of several of the actual organizers? Have you asked the governor of Virginia for comment? Somebody showed blackface Charlie. Do you see how they do it? This is how they do it. They align it always that way. It doesn't matter what it's about. If it is a conservative event, it's a white nationalist. It's a neo-Nazi. It's racist. If it's liberal, even when it was run by anti-Semites, it took a real journalist outfit to break it up and go, oh my God, these people are horrible. And it started on BDS and hate of Jews. Years later, that still doesn't make it null and void. It, it's still the greatest thing ever. We got op-eds and Twitter moments. And although the Twitter moment was buried, it probably came out on the top and then they realized there wasn't enough people to make it the top. And at no time... Did any article from New York Times, Washington Post, ever say why this isn't working? It isn't working because they don't want all women. They don't want Jews. It turned into more of an LGBT. They want men, transgender men, more than they want white women. And within every liberal fucking protest, there's so many splinters that that one time I played... It was like the year after, I think. It was the 2018 one. And if you remember, you had the black power people, BLM, fuck cops, fuck white people. And then you had the gay shit. I mean, it wasn't about Trump. It was about what all liberal protests are. But the media never define it that way. They never go in and show. A bunch of people showed up for this event, but really, it's a bunch of different causes. And last year's was more climate than Trump. But within all of this, I found this, which, um, you know, made me really happy. Because there's a lot of this. And Chuck Todd's not going to show it. 
<clears throat> Chris Cuomo, CNN, they're not going to show this. They're never, ever going to show this. But there's a lot of this going on. And I think it has a lot to do with why these numbers of these marches are going away. Because people are starting to, they're starting to read and understand and realize, yeah, a lot of this is over the top. It's not even true. But I bought it. So I'm kind of a dumbass. And the economy's pretty good. And the media's so over the top, I don't know what to believe anymore. I mean, I really don't know what to believe. I think a lot of people are there. <clears throat> Mexican Ocrazio Corn Pop. That's her handle. I'm a 19-year-old female from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I went to the Trump rally back in 2016 with my mom, brother, and a couple of friends. We were being yelled at from anti-Trump protesters. I was not for Trump. I was totally against him. And I went because, hell, my mom decided to go. And I couldn't do that except sit there and listen. It's a good speech, and he was a good man, but I still wasn't convinced. Leaving the rally, we had to go through the other way because an anti-Trump protester wanted to get us, hurt us. We walked outside, and it looked like hell. They made our city look like shit. As we were walking out, a young man, early 20s, got out and punched an old Trump supporter that was a veteran. My mom had got into it with him to not do that. People were throwing things at us, screaming in our faces, putting the Mexican flag in our faces, throwing rocks at the horses, damaged police cars, started fires. It was a riot. Look it up. Made national news. But, of course, it was Trump supporters, remember? They started it. From that point on, I became a Trump supporter. I never post about it or anything because I was afraid of the backlash. After Trump went office, I started being more vocal and people knew I was a Trump supporter. I cannot vote, but I sure as hell can have an opinion. <clears throat> when I posted about Trump, I had people delete me, block me, say fucked up things to me. In school, I was called a bigot, harassed. She, she's Latina, but she's a bigot. I was called a bigot, harassed by a teacher because I was a Trump supporter had to do a presentation during lunch because it was about Trump and no one wanted to hear it because they didn't want to hear the hate. My 10-year-old brother was facing the same thing. He was told he couldn't <clears throat> look up to Trump and couldn't do a presentation because the teacher didn't like him before his candidacy. And my brother was not was had passion about what he was writing about, so we rewrote it and I stood by him as he presented it. I'm already losing friends, family, and more because of my patriotic opinions. Trump comes back in 2019 for another Trump rally, and I stood in line for over 12 hours. I was super excited to see the president. I posted this picture, and it caused so much drama, so many nasty comments. But let me tell you, his rallies don't get more patriotic. When everyone sang the national anthem together, you felt it in your heart. I walked away because I listened, I learned, I developed my own opinion. I'm looking over because my opinion is not like other teenagers. I registered to vote in 2020 as a Republican, and I'll vote for Trump. I was very liberal-minded. I even called my mom names when I still wasn't against Trump. I woke up. I want to make America, America again. I'm so happy I changed my views instead of looking crazy. I'm 19-year-old with my own opinion. Thank God for Trump and guns. I'm a Republican in a Democratic state. Hashtag walk away. That, that's, that sums it up. It just sums it up. It just 
sums it up. All this is just media bias. Just media bias. They have one way of reporting everything. And that's why I lumped the Women's March and everything in this front section, because it just goes together. They, liberals, modify signs, and it's just like what they're doing with this. They make the Women's March like it's everybody, and if you're not everybody, you're a fucking dumbass loser. You're a piece of shit. So, Stephen Davis, or Sean Davis, decided to do a list of just things CNN's fucked up. And then we're going to get to that Maju Raju, and then we're going to go into a media mash and come into the rest of our media, which um, I think that pretty much sums up this. No, then I have a Democrat section. So, yeah, this will be its own podcast. It's a lot of shit. we got to hit on Omar. It's really, really good, but... um, We'll do another music break and then close this out. <clears throat> Sean Davis, CNN contributor. Media mistakes are why people should trust the media. I'm not going to play it. He then goes into all the things CNN's done wrong, just under Trump. And it's not a complete list. CNN still has a corrected false story on Comey classified memo. CNN settles lawsuit for deplaming pro-life Covington Catholic student. CNN falsely claims Merkel choice G20 location to hurt Trump. Nunez sues CNN for defamation following false Vienna collusion story. Did CNN lie about Ted Cruz being afraid to talk about guns? Report. James Clapper leaked dossier briefing to CNN. Lied about it. Ten times CNN told us an apple was a banana. CNN Journalism Award winner exposes massive fraud. CNN's favorite con artist indicted for stealing Stormy Daniels' book advance. CNN latest retraction is just the tip of the fake news iceberg. CNN just published a fake quote from Abraham Lincoln. CNN Chris Cuomo saying, I make fake news, is just like a racial slur. Parkland student, CNN canceled me because I retweeted Clay Travis. Remember that? CNN cut 540 words to frame Trump for favor he never requested. CNN botches basic gun fact that refuses to correct the error. CNN is the fakest of the fake. And this is why. I do want to ask you also about your comments on Israel to remind people what you tweeted about Israel in 2012 during the offensive in Gaza. You wrote, Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. You've commented a lot since then, trying to explain what you meant by that. And I wonder just what your message is this morning as the first on our Game Changers series um, to uh, Jewish Americans who find that deeply offensive. Oh, uh, that's a really a regrettable way of, of expressing that. Um, I, I don't know um, how my comments would be offensive to, to Jewish Americans. I want to end with something my wife gave me this morning before we go into our media. Well, not end, to come like dovetails. Once again, like dovetail today, that's the word we're using. Joe Biden calls us dredges of society. Obama called us clingers. Hillary called us deplorables. Terrorists call us infidels. Trump calls us all Americans. And I think it goes with that girl and Omar and our media. They align more with people that hate 
this country, except when there's a Democrat. When you criticize the country when there's a Democrat, you're an anti-American piece of shit. But when there's a Republican president, you're supposed to just criticize constantly. This country is terrible. It's a steaming pile of shit. I mean, the only time that dovetailed over... God, I got something dovetailed. But when it did go over with Obama was when you talked race. I mean, with race, America was a racist piece of shit. That's what they wanted us to say. That's what we were supposed to say. And if you didn't say it, you were racist. But everything else, foreign policy, perfect. And our media, well, they're just... Once again, we're, we're going to take McSally in the beginning. We can bash her, but you can't bash Omar, who said heinous thing about America, soldiers, all nine yards. New York Times opinion. When Meghan McCain joined The View in 2017, her on-air spats made for fun TV. Now it's just exhausting. In the early days of her arrival, the conservative commentator on air spats made for fun TV. Now it's just exhausting, writes Shamira Abraham. Translation, the conservatives should fall in line with our news speak and submit to our re-education plan. We desire no diversity of opinion here. It prompted all sorts of articles because if you're really, you know, once again, this is a person who hates Trump, but she's still a conservative, which makes her not a female, which makes her totally... You can talk shit about her. Federalists, the real extremism on The View isn't Meghan McCain. Majority of American women support gun ownership and abortion restrictions, yet on a network daytime television shows, there's only one representative for these positions, and that's The View, Meghan McCain. 77% of American women support restricting abortion in the first 12 weeks of baby gestation, a higher percentage of 74% of all supporting Americans. 59% of American women believe abortion is morally wrong. 61% of American women oppose using tax dollars to pay for abortion. 40% of American women own a gun or live with someone who does. 45% of American women who don't own guns say they could see themselves doing so in the future. Those two groups thus compromise two-thirds of American women. It is thus clear from statistics like these and that being pro-life and pro-gun, it's not only extremely common among American women, but might actually encompass a clear majority of us. Yet among all daytime television shows, there's only one representative, Megan McCain. This is just a small thing from her. Well, I'm not a New York Times employee, to be clear. Megan McCain, everyone already knows how much you despise red state, pro-life, pro-2A conservative women and wish we could all just go away. Like, am I supposed to uh, equivocate to my personal opinion as a black immigrant woman subject to non-violent state surveillance? This is also not my argument in the piece. Criticism is separate from personal opinion, but I can't expect certain actors who are constantly using their hair-trigger emotions and proving the point made in my story to get that, so no use explaining, nor do I care to. That was her response to her. She agrees. They don't want women with differing opinion. The Women March didn't allow people with different opinion. Vince Vaughn, once again, last podcast, attacked for just talking to the president, being an adult. Iraq war vet tells Vince Vaughn visit to dangerous war zone where no other celebs would go. After probably exaggerated controversy about actor Vince Vaughn shaking hands with 
Donald Trump during the college football national championship game Monday. An Iraqi war veteran told the Daily Caller about how Vaughn took the time to visit troops in a dangerous war zone. No other celebrity would go. Story come from Colby Smith, a combat medic with 108th Armor, 48th Combat Brigade, 3rd Infantry Division, who said Vaughn visited in 2005 after a particularly tragic time for the group, which has just lost nearly a dozen people. Smith said Vaughn had been warned that the area he had visited, known as the Triangle of Death, was a truly dangerous place, but he wanted to go anyway. He did this because he heard that there were no one else coming to see these guys, and he did. Vaughn visit was a typical celebrity appearance, Smith said. Instead, Vaughn wasn't a typical celebrity appearance. Vaughn simply wanted to spend time with the troops and improve the morale in any way he could. He carried around a sign that one of the service members had made referring to the movie Dodgeball, one of Vaughn's most popular roles. roles. One of the guys in the unit made a sign that read, If you can dodge an IED, you can dodge a ball. Dodge, <laughs> dodgeball, Smith said. Vaughn thought it was great, so he was running around with the sign, Smith said. Vaughn also came to the medic station just to hang out and play video games with them. That's why when Vaughn received some criticism from my friendly for being friendly towards the president, it upset me. And in honor of Vince Vaughn, I'm going to play one of the greatest scenes ever in a movie. You're going to learn to be true dodgeballers. Then you've got to learn the five D's of dodgeball. Dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. If you master the five Ds, no amount of balls on earth can hit you. Quebec, go ahead. Me or... Yeah, um, shouldn't we, like, learn by dodging balls that are thrown at us, or...? That's what this sack of wrenches is for. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. What? Any other questions? Oh my god! Yeah, uh, patches. Are you sure that this is completely necessary? Necessary? Is it necessary for me to drink my own urine? Probably not. No. But I do it anyway because it's sterile and I like the taste. Okay. And if you're going to lead this squad to the floor, you've got to learn to do the dance in the dark. Yeah, put that on. All right, ladies, buckle up. It's showtime. Greatest scene ever. But it's hate. It's hate of the media, hate of the Democrats. Anybody with an opposing view must be taken out. Everything we say, all the angst you just heard about Martha McSally stating a factual statement that Maju Raju 
is a fucking liberal hack, as is everybody on CNN. I mean, everybody on CNN's a hack. We all know this. Even Democrats don't watch it. It's so fucking poorly fucking received. They completely ignored this. That's right. And it's a ceremonial. The one thing I will say, and as we were watching it, um, we are used to seeing um, signing ceremonies, handing out pens at moments of celebration when a president is signing legislation, uh, when even sometimes, in a rare occasion, but it has happened, when the House sends over a landmark piece of legislation. Um, it was it was unusual to see that kind of, um, of ceremony and, and making, you know, handing out the pens and smiling for a picture mm-hmm. in this kind of situation where the House Speaker has bent over backwards to say publicly and privately, this is somber, this is not a time for a celebration. Understandable, this is history, and the people who are involved want to mark the moment, uh, but I didn't expect to see that. Yeah, yeah that, I thought that was a little jarring and certainly, I think, off-message because you heard Nancy Pelosi there say, in fact, that this was a sad and tragic day, uh, and then there she is holding up the pen and, and uh, having photographs taken with those pins. So, yeah, it, it, I think it was a little off-message for someone who has tried to set a very serious tone, uh, and, and here she is posing for photographs with a pen. So probably not the those best. Those committee chairmen and the House managers, they will, they, they'll have those pens for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. You know, in the end, they are politicians, and in the end, Nancy Pelosi knows uh, her caucus and that this was a part of history that they would all like a piece of that said Pelosi grins and offers golden pans for impeachment Ted Cruz given the circus in the house I'm surprised she didn't use crayons these are the pens Pelosi used to sign the articles and she gave them out to colleagues while wow, they look like bullet cases that was Maria Baltimore That's exactly what it looked like. She was attacked mercilessly. This is today's Republican punditry with plenty of clear photos available. Journalists like Tim Pool are spreading this bullshit. Here's a photo of the pens that hasn't been purposefully edited. Mitch McConnell criticized Nancy Pelosi for giving the commemorative pens used to sign impeachment articles to impeach manager and committee members. Nothing so serious as a sobriety like hanging out souvenirs. Speaker distributed souvenir pens that literally came in silver platter. Kristen Martinez, when you have to pretend to be solemn and somber, still can't decide if she or Warren is the biggest phony I've ever heard and lead lead at the moment. Democrat leadership to members, make sure to project how solemn and serious today is. No more giving us away with the silly stuff. There's a meme on Twitter of numerous Democrats. The best is Kamala Harris joking, and then the camera goes, and they get the lady over like, okay, okay, okay. Because they don't want her to look bad, and she gets solemn and serious. Like her face just goes, ah! 
somebody says, you know what you hand out for pans for? Accomplishments. Like, say, saying a historic trade deal with China. So it's fitting that Democrats are handing out pens for their sole accomplishment. Impeachment. Democrats have done nothing for the American people. Those are what polls are showing. It's not conservatives bashing them. Polls are saying all they do is care about impeachment. And CNN just criticizes the moment. But they were bullet pens. If it was a conservative, once again, what message are they saying with these bullets? I mean, we already had Clyburn say we need to hang the motherfucker. Do a fucking goddamn thing and hang him. But they're hateful. They hate. Media hates. They all hate. Amy Mech again. Sharia Maryland Democrat endorsed Sharia adherent Al-Rahman school as a tax-exempt private Islamic school in Baltimore. The school's goal is to develop leaders who are focused on pleasing Allah and integrating the teachings of Quran and Sunnah into the daily lives of students. Here's the soundbite. They try to um, incorporate the issues that they're facing at the adolescent age. So just recently, for example, uh, the high schoolers, uh, the, actually seventh grade and up, they learned about internet safety from an Islamic perspective. So uh, things about gender relations, gossip, um, you know, lowering your gaze, um, uh, false personalities, you know, being two-faced, all those type of things. The students did research, they did posters and collages and PowerPoint presentations so that they can take those concepts that are very important in Islam, like modesty and, and proper relations between the sexes, and apply it to a real life situation that they're actually facing day in and day out. So that's one of the unique things I think that we have going on here uh, at Arahma School. We are an accredited K-12 school who is also nationally recognized. On February 3rd, the president um, uh, came to visit our school. I'm always excited to see young people because you're our future. And I want all of you to understand that we're expecting big things of you. You're going to do great things as doctors and lawyers and advocates and uh, as scientists and engineers and who knows, maybe a president or two. So. In his historical 45-minute speech that he gave, it not only helped uh, boost the morale of our students, but also it, it validated their rights as American citizens. Uh, I'm teaching a U.S. government uh, in, for the 10th grade uh, girls class and um, kind of showing some of the similarities and differences between the U.S. Constitution and government uh, versus, you know, Islam, Islamic law, maqasid, sharia, and things like that. So they get to see, you know, the compatibility and some of the things that we can do as Muslims within this uh, greater society as well. So it's been, it's been very, very exciting. So our, our desire is to produce a student who is not only emotionally stable, um, is uh, practicing the deen, um, also is a student who has great pride in civic responsibility and also positively contributes to the society, especially in these days and, and these times. Parents bring their children to Abraham School because Abraham School is an extension. That's not being reported. Same district that Obama flooded with Islamists. Omar. Remember? Then we have LSU. I'm not going to play the fucking video. 
The GAT video for Trump's White House tribute goes viral. Her name is Jemai Bordelin, wife of former player Ben Bordelin. Ladies and gentlemen, we got her. It's Jemai Bordelin, wife of former LSU player Ben Bordelin. I have no idea why they were along for the trip or why she was part of the video, but it's 100% her. Everybody's freaking out about it. The media? WAPO. Trump drags LSU football team in impeachment further during White House. USA Today, President Donald Trump shares his thoughts on impeachment, uses profanity during LSU football celebration at White House. BR, surprisingly, Joe Burrow, LSU, visit Donald Trump White House after national championship. It's the only one I could find. They actually interviewed him. He said it was a great fucking time. Fox, Trump honors national champion LSU Tigers at White House. CNN, Trump gets LFCU football team a championship welcome. Trump went nearly in the entire ceremony without bringing up impeachment until he invited members of the team to take pictures at the Oval Office. Yeah. Yeah. So, there there you go. Let's just go straight into hypocrisy now and our media cuts. <laughs> Hypocrisy! Dust up between the two of them. Is that scandals hurt you more when they seem plausible, right? right? I mean, Bernie Sanders does have a sort of physicality, you know, when he when he talks. That yes. is a shaking your finger yes. at Hillary Clinton, yes. shaking your finger, shovey, weirdy. You know, his, his physicality yes. makes me think, yeah, he could have said, you know, listen, I think in this environment a woman can't win. That doesn't seem like a crazy thing Well, first of all, I think, he, I think Bernie's lying. We see him, he slouches forward anyway, Joy, but here he turtles. If you look at his eye level where he normally answers questions, when he makes the denial, his whole shoulders come up like a little kid getting caught. His eye level is below his shoulders. This is trying to hide in plain sight. And many of us, we don't know what to look for. So if you look for this right out of the gate. A body language expert. More on this stuff at the end of this segment. But I I just had to play that up front. This is a time-traveling, anti-Semite, hate faggot, Joy Reid. Who still has a show. Which is perfect for hypocrisy. The president got to smash Acosta. And I got to play it. You're with this, this man. But I don't know him. I had never had a conversation that I remember with him. Well, well, you certainly, do let me just tell you, you just have to take a look at the polls. Quiet. You just have to take a look at the pictures. You just have to take a look at the polls. You see, I don't need anybody's help. We're doing phenomenally well. The economy is the best it's ever been. If there's an accomplishment that Trump's done that would make me 100% vote for him, it would be he shut that motherfucker up. He shut up. Fucking Jim Acosta. Jesus Christ. Tom Elliott shows where our media is. This is just, this is our media. CBS News, the low unemployment rate is bad for your health. The U.S. is near full employment. Get ready for a bad flu season. That's how they're pushing the new fucking good economy. 
Uh, yeah, you know me. Tweets, corporate media, President Hillary, Trump collusion, Trump recession, racism, impeachment. The flu is Trump's fault. Another guy, mother of Christ, actually went there. I thought it was the Babylon Bee. How long until TDS media blames real Donald Trump for spreading the flu? There it is. There it is. Then we have this winner, winner, chicken dinner, as previously said. Here is Seltzer and Company with bated breath. The Facts First Network. Who's the New York Times going to pick for Democratic candidate? Here now to dish on whom the Times is likely to select and whether it will matter is CNN chief media correspondent and host of Reliable Sources, Brian Stelter. First, Brian, any thoughts on who you think might get the nomination? <laughs> Anyone but Donald Trump, right? Probably. Uh, of course, this is the Democratic primary yeah. that the Times is focused on. Yeah. Uh, but they've brought all these candidates in. Uh, <laughs> I, I think the Times it tends uh, to, to have a very progressive editorial page. You know, worth reminding people that the editorial board is separate from the newsroom. Right. Uh, but, you know, but when it's just the New York Times endorsement, uh, it does it does carry some weight, more so than other papers. Do you want to do, you want to do odds right now? I, no, gonna, I do not. Do I, you? I, well, yes. I, I, I think it's like seven. 70% Biden, maybe 30% Warren. Yeah, well, I would certainly say when I read the transcripts of these interviews, yeah. the questions toward Bernie Sanders were very difficult, perhaps mm. even hostile. Mm. You got the sense from some of the editors, a lot of skepticism of, of Sanders, for example. But I was grateful they published these transcripts in the same way I'm grateful CNN's been holding these town halls. Yeah. You'd think every question's been asked at this point, but actually they haven't. There actually are still a lot of questions to ask of these candidates. And it's valuable to have these editorial boards challenge and scrutinize the candidates, even though, as the Times acknowledged, the editorial uh, endorsements probably matter less over time. Um, do you think local newspapers endorsements, maybe union endorsements, yeah. matter more than like a big national newspaper? In some of these key markets in Iowa, New Hampshire, and other early states, they can matter, yes. Mm -hmm. But there's also, unfortunately, fewer staffers that are working on this, you know, in this day and age. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, th I think it is, you know, it's one of the most valuable things these papers can do. And the Washington Post has a 20-question uh, quiz out this weekend on the website. Which candidate do you agree with the most? Mm -hmm. I think that kind of thing is even more valuable because yeah. just helping people understand the issues that are at play mm -hmm. uh, is the most valuable thing that these newspapers can do. Why is that news? And as stated, who doesn't think they're going to pick the Democrat? They will then pick the Democrat, promote the Democrat, and push extra shit at the last minute in October to try to stop Trump. Another tape. They'll find a tape where it said, I used to walk up to girls and grab the door for them. Oh, he's a fucking sexist. Get the fuck out of here. To our media mash, and then a beautiful hit on Ilian Omar, which was not covered by any media. CBS pushes revival of long-dead equal rights amendment, skips abortion, link. NBC suggests Trump trade policy costs farmers to commit suicide. Trump now makes people commit suicide. Well, they've already said that. Lawrence O'Donnell, there will be no one on MSNBC defending Trump. Was that actually ever in doubt? For the women of Virginia and the women of America, the resolution has finally passed. These votes Wednesday in the Virginia House. Senate Joint Resolution 1 is agreed to. 
and Senate were celebrated as a possible turning point by ERA supporters like Donna Gransky, who's been fighting for the amendment since the 1970s. The only way that we can guarantee gender equality is for it to be enshrined in the United States Constitution. That's what today means to me. It was just very like empowering to see it get passed and that to see that I could have an equal future. Now, the measure uh, in Virginia has yet to clear another set of votes, and then people say that a new fight then will start. I mean, supporters are going to have to go to court and argue that that original 1982 deadline is not binding, and they should get to count the 35 states that passed it before 1982 to get to the magic number of 38 states needed to change the Constitution. China has agreed to buy $200 billion worth of American products and services, including $40 billion in U.S. farm products. For farmers like John Boyd of Virginia, that can't come soon enough. Soybean prices were cut in half with the trade war. For a year, Boyd has struggled to pay the mortgage on his farm. Across the country, farmers have gone under, the financial stress even leading some to take their own lives. The hope now that China will soon start placing the orders before it's too late. So I want to ask you about cable news because you've got CNN, which is sort of we're playing it down the middle, except we hate Trump. No, they don't. One-third of the people on their payroll love Trump. So you're guaranteed on any hour of CNN to minimum one-third of the programming will be supportive of Trump. Someone on their payroll saying, here's why Trump's right. Yeah, well, they bring someone on to yeah. do that. But they, they used their to have hosts a, don't they, do that. Their hosts don't, but they're... But you know that's why that's one of the reasons why Trump kind of wants you to watch CNN instead of MSNBC sure. because he knows on MSNBC there will be no one defending him because we don't bring on liars. I don't bring on a liar. I won't do that. And there's no one on CNN who Are you saying Trump. that to defend Trump you have to lie? Yes. Absolutely. Of course, of course. Absolutely. Of course. Yes. How else do you defend a liar? A pathological liar who lies about everything. You have to lie. So CNN has people on the payroll who they pay to tell their lies to the CNN audience in the middle of, you know, a CNN hour for some number of minutes. And so Trump knows <laughs> that if you, if you watch CNN, at least you'll hear someone lying in my favor. Well, you're the progressive station. Fair to say? Yeah, I'll take that. Okay. I, I believe that what I do in my hour, what Rachel does, what Chris Hayes does is... We we discuss everything in a completely honest way, and that sounds partisan. It sound in in today's era because uh, the Republican Party uh, is just nonstop lying. Okay, gonna go to a quick music break. We're gonna come back and do a long hit on Ilian Omar because there's more investigation and there's some interesting stuff done by real journalists. And then we'll close on the Warren Sanders fluff. My God in heaven, there's not as much sexism as you would expect. Sits in the top of the greenest tree. 
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Sing us a song. You're the podcast man. Sing us a song tonight. Well, we're all in the mood for a melody. And you've got us feeling all right. This could probably be about a five-hour podcast in itself, this one segment. But I'm going to paraphrase and just go through the reams of information brought to you by David Steinberger. Big Ilian Omar update. Federal investigators finally seem to be reviewing the overwhelming evidence against Ilian, Minnesota, and at least three agencies are considering her case. The FBI, the DOF Education, Department of Education, sorry, um, Inspector General, and ICE. On October 19, the FBI held a formal meeting to discuss a file of evidence against Omar. I was invited, but did not attend. I did submit new info to the FBI via an attorney. The FBI has since found the evidence compelling enough to share with these two agencies. The De- Department of Education, IG, is considering evidence that e- Ilian married a U.K. citizen and 09 perhaps to commit student loan fraud or other education fraud. She attended North Dakota State University f- from 09 June 2011. The marriage only lasted from 9 June 11 to a month later. She still lived with her first husband throughout. IceGov is considering evidence that Ilian Omar married a UK citizen on 9 perhaps to commit immigration fraud. Government agencies rarely acknowledge an investigation. For now, I can confirm that the FBI chose to share evidence with at least two agencies. Article. <clears throat> Department of Education Inspector General is related to evidence suggesting Omar, 2009 marriage, UK citizen, may have been an attempt to facilitate federal loans fraud. Shortly after Omar's 2009 marriage, a new couple moved to Fargo, North Dakota. Omar enrolled in North Dakota State University. Her husband enrolled the following year. Omar received a degree in 2011. According to Omar herself, she and her husband then permanently separated in June 2011. The marriage start and end coincides with the start and end of Omar's NDSU enrollment. Incredibly, according to address records and statements from Omar herself, she was also still living with her first husband and their two kids throughout the second marriage. In 2017, Omar filed divorce under penalty of perjury, submitted a nine-question form to the court attesting to having lost all contact with her NDSU husband in June 2011. Dozens of verified social media posts and even a 2016 interview with the NDSU husband indicate otherwise. It appears Omar perjured herself eight times answering the nine questions. Two, immigration and ICE. This is related to evidence suggesting a breathtaking number of possible immigration-related felonies. As I stated in an introduction passage with my July 18th article, the involvement of ICE with a possible criminal investigation could hardly be of greater political import to Omar. For several years, Omar has vigorously supported the abolishment of ICE. Her 2020 re-election platform featured on her campaign site and pictured below targets ICE agents with vicious rhetoric that simply must be read by interested parties. 
cities. States Omar cite immigration and custom enforcement is an unreformable organization that has become increasingly militarized, brutal, and unaccountable. And he links the site. Since August 2016, the remarkable story of Omar's past has produced scarce political law enforcement or media activity, a near-perfect inversion of Trump-Russian collusion yarn with which is inseparable. Consider how Trump investigation was initiated as a former FBI Comer tells it, recent statements from Attorney General Barr and U.S. Attorney John Durham suggest disagreement. Comey treated an unverifiable claim for a foreign diplomat of a drunk remark by a low-level Trump staffer as a predicate for spying on a presidential campaign. Comey never did find stronger evidence, yet the Democrat Party and supportive media the hardly paused for three years covering the investigation. Concurrently, in August 2016, Minnesota reporter John Scott Johnson and Preya Samsundra I don't think she's a white supremacist. We're publishing extensive, verified, still unchallenged evidence implicating Omar in multiple felonies. Their exponentially more substantial evidence was ignored by the Democratic Party and supportive media. Their evidence was even ignored by law enforcement per an extraordinary public dismissal shortly before Omar's 2016 election. FBI guidelines require only articulated factual basis of possible criminal activity to open an investigation. By September 2016... Johnson and Susamanara had objectively breached that threshold. Picture Comey applying its crossfire hurricane standards to their works. Perhaps Omar trial reaches the sentencing phase before November election. I followed up on Johnson and Sumasada's investigation in 2018. A year later, the proportion of the verifiable case against Omar resembled that against a Batman villain. A comical number of likely felonies, all backed by gobsmacking evidence. Certified state and federal documents, certified UK documents, archived state public school records, archived US and UK address records, verifiable unmanipulated digital photos, corroborating statements from Omar herself, corroborating statements from Omar's ex-husband himself, several years of social media posts from Omar verified accounts and several years of suddenly deleted social media posts from Omar's verified accounts. Yet media continued to approach the developing story of Omar's background with literally zero vigor. Remember, this is the same media that carried the Russia collusion. The same media has dug up all sorts of dirt on conservatives. 47% video. Played it ad nauseum. Back to his tweets. Click below for backstory. This July 19 article contains a smoking gun evidence showing Ilian Omar's 2019-17 marriage was fraudulent. She likely committed dozens of felony in course of sustaining this fraud. Typing up loose threads in curious case. And four intensely reported investigative columns here, August 13, 2018, October 23, 2018, October 30, 2018, and November 5, 2018, Steinberger explored the evidence suggesting that Ilian Omar entered in a sham marriage. On October 22, 2008, the U.S. State Department stopped accepting application for Priority 3 Refugee Family Reunification Program, the process by which refugees can seek asylum if one family member is a legal U.S. resident. State halted the program because DNA testing, primarily with Somalis, had concluded that perhaps 87% of applicants were fraudulently claiming family relationship. Despite continuing wars, Somalia 2008 was not comparable to the open hell of early 90s when an 8-year-old Ilian and her family fled to Kenya refugee camp. She lived there from 91 to 95, aged, 12, aged 8 to 12, Lutheran immigrants Immigration and Refugee Service then helped her and her sister and their father receive asylum in the United States. The complicated moral question of fraud, let alone fault, among this 1990 wave of refugees escaped civilian war will never be answered with accurate statistics. We'll have to settle 
for adjectives like widespread and rampant, yet the negative outcomes cannot be ignored. Even refugees with strong desire to assimilate the Western civic order are hampered by the possibility of discovery of conflicting documents, and compromising information becomes leverage in a community already difficult to police. Twelve-year-old Ilian had no say on the matter in which she arrived. U.S. Congressman Abdillah Omar is now under scrutiny for actually took beginning in 2009. In 2009, Omar was a 26-year-old U.S. citizen. She had been a U.S. citizen for nearly nine years. Additionally, the foreign national Omar apparently helped commit fraud was not fleeing hell in Somalia. Ahmad Nur said Elimi was a longtime citizen of the United Kingdom. He had possessed a high school diploma from the United States. Elmi attended St. Paul Minneapolis High School for a senior year. We look to the 95 to not, not to incriminate a kid, but to answer questions about what Omar did 14 years later as an adult. And he breaks it down. This kid's not a citizen. They show a flow chart. He shows addresses they lived at. The above image screenshot of Sahara Noor's confirmed Facebook account was published by Preya Samsundra in 2016. He also identified himself as Noor said, see below. This is a screenshot of current Facebook's account. As of this article publication, it is active and searchable by anyone online. I've archived this page with archives. Note this thumbnail of Layla Silmi, listed as a friend of Nur, said in 2018, as I published a series of articles investigating Ilian's past, this account name changed from Lele Elmi to Layla Simi. However, the URL, URL did not. The 97 marriage certificate for only Lele Nerd said Elmi listed in the United Kingdom. I retrieved this certified copy from Government Records Center in London in February. Note the date in the document in the lower right corner. This is a public record. Anyone can retrieve it. See that Lily attest her father's name is Nur said Elmi. So far, we have verifiable evidence that Ilian Abdillah Omar, Sahar Noor, and Lily Nur said Elmi refer to the respective fathers as Nur said or Nur said Elmi. Next, we have verifiable evidence showing that three are sisters and are all referring to the same man. These two posts appeared on Ilian Omar's confirmed Instagram account. Respectively, Instagram user Hamay became the blue check Ilum Ilian Omar account. And he breaks down that it's the father. You're looking at what appeared to be Lila Elmi, Nurset, and Ilian Omar together. According to Ilian, they're pictured in an August 2011 trip to Africa. Another picture, Lely Elmi is white, Ilian's black, and Ilian's amazing caption is red. Further, the above post with a London trip hashtag depicts Ilian Omar's infamous 2015 trip to UK. This is the same trip in which Ilian was photographed as Almer Nur said Elmi himself. This breaks it all down. One would have to believe that Aksu had dinner with Ilian and a second woman, that the woman was introduced to him as any other person alive, and that a couple days later he made the one in seven billion mistake of misremembering this woman as Ilian Omar's lovely sis, Lila Elmi, a random name of a woman from England he had no clear reason to know. Ilian was steadfast, refused to give the media name of any of her siblings besides Sahar Noor. The only rational explanation, Lily Elmi was in the United States to visit Ilian Omar, attend this dinner with her, and Ilian carelessly introduced her as Aksu. We now have a verifiable evidence that Ilian Omar, Sahar Noor, and Lely Emmy are siblings with the father Nur said. All that remains to verify our source claim that Almad Nur said Elmi is indeed Lely Sir said Elmi's brother. 
Sahan, Nor, Ilian, Omar, and Lilian are siblings with a father named Nur Ased. Lilian lived in the same neighborhood. Both Ilian and Amar Nur Elmi call Lila Elmi children nieces. Yet here we have verifiable UK US marriage record, verifiable addresses, timestamp, traceable, archived online communication, background check confirm- confirmation of social security birth date, archived court documents signed under penalty of perjury, photos which can example, examine to rule out digital manipulation. The 2019 Minnesota Campaign Finance and Public Disclosure Board investigation was found Omar filed illegal joint tax returns with a man who was not her husband in at least 2014 and 2015. Three years of evidence published across many articles, none of which have been shown to be incorrect or even be challenged with contrary evidence from Omar or other sources. Perjury evidence evidence that stands on his own, regardless of whom she'd married. Long after July 2011, she was clearly in contact with the only man in either U.S. or U.K. with the same name. Further, Praya Samundra, Samundra did contact him, published how she managed to contact him, and published an email admitting to being photographed with Omar in London in 2015. To be clear, Omar was literally married to Ahmed Nur Said Elmi. At the same time, she was photographed next to a man who admits his name is Ahmed Nur Said Elmi and that he is in the photo. Samasundra published all the information on how to contact Almed Nur said Elmi. Representative Omar has refused all inquiries from constituents, elected officials, media outlets to provide any evidence to say this is all bullshit. In fact, Omar has responded by making information less available. In 2016, after Scott Johnson and Samasundra posted the allegation, Omar's verifiable social media accounts were taken offline. Almed Nur said social media accounts were taken offline. When the accounts returned, a large amount of potentially incriminating evidence have been deleted. I found it published at least 10 additional before and after instances. Omar has released careful worded Clintonian statements. I have a large amount of information that was not published. Sources have expressed fear regarding published videos and photo evidence confirming threats from Omar campaign team. These sources have shared about evidence of threats. I have contacted the federal authorities to share this and other unpublished information. Back to his tweets. Even in 2016, there was already enough against Ilian for an investigation. But the Comey FBI was busy busy with drunken hearsay. Three years ago, most American newsroom picked Ilian Omar, despite her crawling crawling Jewish hatred and evidence of extensive criminal past, to be the transcendent face America needed to fight bigotry and federal corruption. I want you to think about this for a second. How much do you hear Omar on my show? She doesn't pop up anymore. Because they know this shit is true. Reporters apparently chose to lie about Omar to help birth and more trusting country. Perfectly irrational idiocy. Legacy news media decayed, perhaps thought itself would final ruin by getting exactly what it wanted. The first Somalian-born woman and the first female Muslim to be elected to the U.S. State House. Ilian Omar defeated 44-year incumbent Phyllis Call in Democratic Farm Labor Primary for Minnesota House District. A former child refugee for Civil War, Omar was perceived as the best-case image for shepherding progressive causes against Trump. Her indiv- individual character, however, was openly trending towards worst case. She had written anti-Semitic statements indistinguishable from protocols of elders of Zion. She had distributed 
disturbing association with Islamic terror tie groups. Sources within the Minnesota Somali community presented evidence, including video of an East Africa team member of Ilian Omar's campaign openly threatened local Somalis who may have released negative information about her. Then came the harder evidence of corruption. Publicly available state records viewed along with her own confirmed time social media posts suggesting a breathtaking spree of state and federal felonies. The social media posts visible to anyone who cared to investigate were rapidly deleted. Best case image, worst case character. Would legacy outlets publish these facts then chase more? While self-righteously condemning Trump's fake news jab, would editorial decisions makers see any illusionary greater good in faking it? Reporters, Preyas of Sundra and Alpha News in Minnesota, Scott Johnson of Powerline, myself, and virtually no one else attempted to sway the most influential media decisions on Omar, that of Minnesota's largest outlet, the Star Tribune. In addition to our many published articles, the Star Tribune received calls and emails from us offering to privately share additional leads we had gathered. In the first hours, Omar was elected to Congress in November 2018, the media, literally the media in its entirety, made a similar choice. On June 6, 2019, the Minnesota Campaign Finance and Public Disclosure Board released the results of several months of investigation. There is no box to check for unmarried fine jointly. We break it down, which the Star Tribune did not use. In fact, the paper chose to not even report that they likely tracks fraud. Shock was in the board's finding. But the paper did include a quote from Omar. I'm glad this process is complete. Quickly shamed on social media, Star Tribune published a do-over the following day, which did include joint filing discovery. Two weeks later, the 22nd of July, June, the Star Tribune finally, after three years of prodding, mentioned the disturbing, overwhelming fact pattern pointing to Ilian Omar having an eight-year felony spree. Ironically, or of course, the paper apparently made another unethical decision in its long-awaited relent. No outlets beside the Star Tribune seemed to bear more fault for marching national disgrace Ilian Omar is in office, where she promptly stirred a global rise in anti-Semitism. Yet in finally covering Omar's past, the Star Tribune did not mention the reporters who were worked compromised virtually the entire case against her, or that it had seemingly done nothing with our private offers to share evidence. We were referenced to nameless conservative activists. Similarly, the Washington Examiner, having mostly passed on our Omar story for three years until the Star Tribune deemed it an acceptable topic, flew a reporter to Minneapolis. The reporter published an article on Omar, which was duplicate of virtually all our work, it was touted by the reporter as an exclusive. The reporter praised herself on social media for flying to Minneapolis and signing so much evidence in 48 fucking hours. He finishes. For three years, MSM ignored that a vicious anti-Semite may have committed the worst crime spree in congressional history. While violence against Jews spiked, it shouldn't have happened. Only independent media care. Scott Johnson, P. Samasundar, PJ Media. Please support independent media. Cancel the MSM subscription today and instead support folks like these people. It is extensive. It is laid out, but this gentleman nails it. No matter what law she violated, nothing will happen. Here's why. City congresswoman, black female, Muslim third world immigrant, Democrat care, any two of those will protect her. She checks seven boxes. Yeah. But there's hope. 
Maybe these investigations will go forward. And the Republicans, well, they found somebody. Her name is the Muslim Dalaya al-Ajida. On the surface, we look the same. We're both women of refugees, Muslims, but we couldn't be further apart. The difference is that while Delia has used her life experience to expose oppression and boost the U.S., Omar's done the opposite, stoking fears, inspired hate, inciting violence, embarrassing the U.S. To put it simply, Ilian Omar needs to be stopped, she says. Every time she opens her mouth, she says something either anti-U.S. or anti-Semitic. I'm loyal to the country that gave me a chance, gave me a brighter future. Omar continually tries to weaken the country and divide us. And this is one of the best campaign videos I've ever seen. I've come a long way from where I started. When I was a girl, my mother and I fled our home. We escaped a country without freedom, ruled by a brutal dictator, where the cynical lie that government will provide led to oppression, war, mass murder. We ran far to the United States of America. A nation we knew had the courage to stand up to tyrants, to nurture human freedom and foster opportunity. I've gone from refugee to journalist, from war zones to the White House. I've gone from a frightened girl to a determined fighter against oppression, wherever I find it. And sometimes that's closer than we think. In our own Congress, agents of anger and discord are tearing at America from within. It's time for us to impeach this president. Like Ilhan Omar, we might seem nearly alike, both Muslims, both women, both refugees. But we couldn't be further apart. She spends her time in Congress sowing seeds of division, actively supporting our enemies. When President Trump ended the murderous reign of Qasem Soleimani, a vicious terrorist, killer of American soldiers and countless innocent civilians, Ilhan Omar was outraged, attacking the president, defending the terrorist, driving us further and further apart. She claims to speak for all Muslims, but she does not speak for me. As an American born in Iraq, it's personal to me. I was so proud. My country, my president removed such an evil from the world. When I became an American citizen, I took an oath to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That's why I'm running for Congress. My name is Dalia Lakidi. I've seen up close the consequences of what Ilhan Omar is doing. Conflict, division, oppression. I escaped that world once, and I will not let it happen here. I'm running because we aren't as far apart as she wants us to believe. I'm running to bring us closer together. It is almost criminal that this this much information's out there and nothing's happened. Because she's a black woman. That's why when I hear all these, oh, gays are treated poorly and black people, no, you're not. No, you're not. Don't. Don't. This this is just, once again, living proof that as long as you're a Democrat, you're a black or woman or gay or Muslim, you can commit murder. Nobody fucking cares. Nobody cares. They're not going to do shit. 
Nobody cares. So, let's close on stupid, petty shit, but it's CNN, and so, of course, CNN is going to be CNN. I mean, they just, they just CNN. Oh, wait a minute, one thing. Breaking news, U.S. prosecutors appear to be scrutinizing whether James Comey illegally disclosed classified secrets, part of an unusual inquiry into years-old leaks that leaves law enforcement officials open to accusations of politicizing their background. It's more, it's less about him, and it's more about the FBI. But that one broke, too. Right when the Omar broke, but... CNN's going to be CNN. So when we came up with all this fucking did he say not in the debate, well, CNN had a tape, and they decided to release it. I think you called me a liar on national TV. I think you called me a liar on national TV. Let's not do it right now. We want to have that discussion. We'll have that discussion. You called me. You told me. All right, let's not do it. I don't want to get nailed. I just want to say hi. Yeah, good. Okay. That's because you're a filthy, filthy liar. You've always been a filthy liar. Always. Um, Daily Caller Chuck Ross added, It's a fair question adding to it. Did Warren notice CNN would still be recording audio after the debate was over? Jonathan Turley. CNN has long been viewed as anti-Sanders, but this is incredible. After asking Sanders to repeat his denial, Abby Phillips asserts that Sanders was lying. Senator Warren, what do you think when Senator Sanders told you a woman could not win the election? Federalist Sean Davis, the question itself indicts CNN for deliberately running the Warren team hit on Sanders, which was unbelievably on its face without verifying whether Sanders ever said it. CNN is neither a news organization nor a neutral arbiter. Trump Jr., how did CNN just pretend that Bernie didn't totally deny that he said that woman couldn't win and pretend like it was a fact just because Warren said so? It's not like her entire persona isn't built on lies. Is the fix again in on Bernie? Which... You know, let's be honest, they did it before. Matt Walsh, holy shit, the CNN moderator just openly took Warren's side, bailed her out, and saved her from having to back up her claims. One of the most biased moments I've ever seen in a debate. CNN is absolute clown show. Yeah, it is a fucking clown show. Maggie Haberman, why is the automatic assumption that her version is wrong? Just curious, Jane Pawatsky. A plausible scenario is they meet, both want to run. He's like, Trump is a sexist and he'll use this against women. She infers reasonably. He's telling me a woman can't win. She recalls the disagreement. He insists he literally didn't say a woman can't win. Other people who are on planet Earth. She lied and said she was a Native American on her job application to Harvard. She also lied about being discriminated against for being pregnant, telling two totally different stories. She, she just lies. She lied about her kids going to public school. Forgot that one. Molly Hemingway, I think mostly because of her well-earned reputation, unlike Bernie as someone who makes up stories, including major ones about her ethnicity and career and whatnot. Like, all her nicknames are based around this trait. Probably that. Sean Davis, a woman who famously lied about her heritage, her grandparents, her parents, her employer, her kids, and even her recipes, would never fabricate an unbelievable story about her political opponent weeks before an election. Yeah. Los Angeles Time, Elizabeth Warren brushed off Bernie Sanders and taught a master class in handling sexism. In the article, sure, during the debate, Sanders is gaslighting Warren over whether he told her female candidate couldn't win the 2020 election. 
But now he wanted her to forgive and forget. And if he could, he'd seen shaking her hand. He might be off the hook, but nope, Warren didn't play along. Sanders huffed off when the Sanders campaign said Warren lied and Sanders himself insisted outrageously on his feminist bona fides in a million years and then tried to buttonhole Warren in a handshake only to storm off when he couldn't seal the deal. All in only enacted sexism he was at pains to deny. Warren won. She also proved she's a master strategist. She didn't let Sanders get away with denying his sexist Tuesday night. Instead, he checkmated him into proving it. Well, she didn't. CNN did, you fucking twat. Michael Mahoynihan. So Bernie Sanders is a ruling sexist with cardiac issues for forcefully denying he made a sexist comment, and he's super sexist for a stock male move of trying to shake Warren Anders' hand, who refused to be touched. JRP. What the actual fuck? Lighten Woodhouse. And he buttonholed her into a handshake by standing still while she walked by. Mika Brzezinski, a total libtard. Someone isn't telling the truth. Obviously, his denial is inherently illegitimate because of the shade and shape of his genitals. I think I'm most mad that I'm starting to feel bad for Bernie. Brzezinski appeared to suggest that the person not telling the truth might be Warren, stating that she had a bad feeling it might be the accuser. I don't know what happened there, but somebody not telling the truth. I had a bad feeling it might be the accuser. Warren immediately after the Tuesday night debate accused Sanders of being a liar. They're just trying to give her a bump. She can't win. Can't. It's what we do. Women politicians. Look at Omar. Then this one, Pelosi, it's off subject, then we'll get back on subject, but it fits right in. The Hill, Pelosi raised record $87 million for Democrats. Casey Dillon, Trump raised $125 million. Why is this a story? But it's because she's a female. So now Bernie bros are pissed off. Holly Otterbein, the popular pro-Bernie Sanders subreddit, Sanders for President, says it is removing all content from CNN for the seeable future because they have abandoned their journalistic integrity. CNN's debate has been criticized across the entire ideological spectrum of media. Here's their statement. CNN has spent the previous four days using all its media power to try to prevent Senator Sanders to become president. All their top-line stories have been substantiated hit jobs, style articles against Senator. The situation came to the head last night when CNN hosted a Democratic primary against the Senator. The situation came to the head last night when CNN hosted a Democratic primary against this debate. CNN has been criticized across the entire ideological spectrum of media today because their moderators spent their entire debate asking slanted questions obvious design to weaken Americans' confidence in Senator Sanders, the current frontrunner, in the first three primary states. CNN is not going to stop at a time when America is embroiled in a Middle East conflict when 500,000 people a year are going bankrupt due to medical bills, when an entire generation of Americans drowning and staring in debt, and when we house the largest prison population in the world. CNN's top stories, just new smear articles for Sanders. CNN has forfeited any journalistic integrity and may have once held in the Democratic primary. Its primary goals become to protect its own profits, which are threatened by Sanders' presidency. It is for these reasons that Sanders for President is definitely suspending the hosting of all content by CNN. 
Thank you for your time and your passion. SFP Senator Sanders has taken the lead in Iowa because of his relentless advocacy and volunteering. By ignoring these smears and focusing on the issues that matter to Americans, we're going to win the presidency. Together, we'll transform the United States the country for all of us, not just billionaires who control CNN, and we're going to take those motherfuckers out the street and catch them on fire! Yes, that guy was saying MSNBC, but now it's CNN. Other ones. It goes on CNN. Moderator spent the entire debate asking slanting questions. CNN treatment of escalating tension between Elizabeth Warren and Sanders has indeed been pretty horrendous. From the get-go, they threw their lot in with Warren. Here's an example of one of the questions that angers Sanders supporters. Senator Warren confirmed in a statement that 2018 you told her blah, 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 blah. They have. CNN is trash. These are all liberals. CNN is garbage. Abandon their journalistic integrity. CNN swims and baths in the lack of journalistic integrity. CNN activism is finally getting called out. Setting up Bernie at the debate. Setting up McSally this morning. People are sick of it. Neon taser. Bernie voters felt so alienated in 2016 that more than 10% of them voted for Trump in the general. I see the Democrats want that number to be even higher. And that's true. It happened. It totally happened. And then lastly, before we close this one out, two little things. So he, Trump signed a big trade agreement. I'm just going to read Schumer's reply. There's all positive. Iowa was in on it. I mean, all these farm states loved it. Despite the improvement Democrats secured to better protect workers, I'm voting against USMCA because it doesn't address climate change, the greatest that threat facing the planet. So that was his excuse for not supporting a great trade agreement with China. Climate change. Okay, Chucky. All right, we're going to go two sound bites back to back to close this and head on over to Part B, News and Social Media Nuggets. The first is a Jeopardy. The second is This is America. The Jeopardy is a question, who is this person? And it was Adam Schiff. And nobody fucking knew. Which really shows MSNBC and CNN are not being watched, folks. That's just totally fucking spot on. Nobody's watching. And the second, well, it's a fist bump. Nancy Pelosi and Bill Maher. Uh, U.S. representatives for 12. 153rd of California's House delegation is this Intelligence Committee chairman. His name is Adam Schiff. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. Thank you so much for waiting till we got back on the air before you started the impeachment. (laughs) (laughs) Solemn and prayerful. This is such a constitutional moment. She goes on Bill Maher and fist bumps over impeaching Trump after she handed out bullet pens. Yeah. Democrats are serious people. This was not a partisan thing. This was about... The Constitution. Yeah, right. So this wraps up part A of today's podcast. <clears throat> As we go out, and then you go and download part B, which will be news and social media nuggets, 
I'm not going to play the regular song. I'm going to play Greg Gutfeld, who's echoing what I say on the show all the time. It's not about hating Republicans. They just hate you. So enjoy that, and I'll see you on the other side. Yes, uh, I'm trying to control myself from swearing. That was a freaking ceremony. You have ceremonies to award medals. You have ceremonies at weddings and funerals. This was like a baptism at the Adams family. Did you notice? They had a silver platter for the pens. Everybody got a special party favor, a little pen to take home. We are paying for those freaking pens and for that platter. We... And, and then you see the media taking pictures of the pens. Oh, look how special the pens are. That, what that, what you saw with that ceremony, they were spackling a turd with gold paint, right? And we're all suckers. We're all suckers for believing this is serious. We know it's a sham. It's, oh, it's, they say it's historical or it's historic. That's BS, all right? We know this was an emotional tantrum directed at daddy who won the election and they're mad at daddy. So we have to go through this phony procession. Oh, let's show pictures of the cloakroom. Oh, let's watch them walk down the halls. Ooh, this is breaking news. Let's repeat it 25 times over and over again until I want to blow my brains out. Look. You're going to have a great time the next two weeks. If you're a viewer, okay, and you're watching this coverage, here's four things you got to remember. The media controls the narrative, okay? Look what happened to the five, right? You know, we had, they, they put the money in the jukebox, we got to dance. Number two, the Dems have been, and the media have been working on this for three years. So this ain't a moral cause. This was a political vocation meant to unseat an election. Number three, they don't hate Trump, they hate you. He's a proxy for you because you voted for him. They think you're a bunch of rubes because you didn't listen to the media. This is their revenge. And last but not least, you got to store all that anger. And when this is over and when they lose, because they will, you got to rub their noses in their loss till the day they retire. Thank you. Yeah.